0: Off to a great start here. Welcome. I'm your host, Manfred, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night. Andrew Boy on social media at MMALOT and joined, as always, by my guy, Cody Saftik, repping the Raptors today. Not often do I see my guy with a team sports uh, shirt or apparel on of any sort, so it's pretty cool. And it's kind of shameful that I'm wearing a 76-shirt shirt, but it is what it <laughs> is. Shout out to Allen Iverson, one of my favorite players of all times. Uh, you guys can follow my guy, CJ Saftik, at cj saftig on twitter so make sure you guys do that and uh you guys can get all your prp needs and all your other uh fun regional show needs from him as well uh cody uh we're in the thick of things here man it's been like a couple weeks now that we've had back to back to back ufc events we still have i believe three more ahead of us before we get a you know a weekend to breathe once again but uh how, how are you finding yourself engulfed during this thing because you obviously have your matchmaking duties that you're doing as all well for a show that's coming up in a couple weeks but even just staying on top of the research and you know chugging out the content the dog or bass and and this and everything else how, how are you feeling especially as a father as well now like how is it all culminate culminating for you
1: yeah sleep deprived sleep deprived for sure <laughs> um yeah the matchmaking is tough, biz man like of course we've got the show coming up november 17th so almost two weeks out at this point there's not much i can do i am working on adding one more undercard fight to the show but at this point, we're pretty much set, good to go. Gonna be a fun night, all good. It's my next show, January 21st. I have tons of time, and I have a massive budget for the show. It's like nobody wants to fight anybody, and tons of guys got contracts. And also the two worst things that ever happened to regional show MMA damn near killed it. Damn near killed it. Thing number one, Dana White's contender series. Nobody wants to fight for like a regional belt anymore. They just want to fight a contender series and get to the UFC. So there was a time where it's like shit, man, I'm 6-0 no prospect. I need to fight a UFC veteran or I need to fight the best guy in Canada in my weight class so I can prove I'm the best guy. And then I'll go, no, 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 not anymore. It's like, nah, I'm six and no, I'm 6-0. Are you kidding? Yeah, just You for can the call. feed me a complete bum from Indiana who won't get his medicals done and won't show up. Why did I say Indiana? If you're from Indiana, I apologize. <laughs> some <laughs> bum from somewhere, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're not going to get like, they want to fight some bum or, you know, they're going to wait because my manager's been talking to Mick Maynard and uh, the same three managers, managers like 90% of the guys, yeah. right? So they're not looking to fight each other. They're all waiting on this contender series option. It's a nightmare. Thing number two, Bare Knuckle Boxing. Then sons of bitches pay good, man. They oh, pay, yeah. pay really good. And so all of a sudden, a Chris Kamozie that you could book originally for a six and six wants thirty thousand flat because that's what they just paid him to Bare Knuckle Box wow. in his recent fight against Bubba McDaniel in Colorado. So I mean, tough situation as like a regional show matchmaker because you're not going to pay Chris Kamozie thirty grand to come beat up a local guy in your Canadian show. And at the same point, getting just a UFC veteran of that caliber. Not as easy as it used to be. So, a couple of interesting names still in the worst subcalls that are floating around. But of course, now you got to get a dance partner and bullshit. So, that's that side of things. It's gonna happen. It'd be a good show. I'm not worried about. It. It's just like another day in the life, right? And you could be complaining about so much worse. How's your day today? Oh man, I'm like sad and did road work all day. Or I laid brick. Or yeah. I worked. Uh, I wanted to be a paramedic when I was a kid, and then I like one time I like, talked to a paramedic. You do like a ride along, and he's like. <laughs> you ever held a guy's kidney inside for him while he bled out? And I was like, no, man. And he's like, well, I did three times. I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, he had had mad PTSD about just like, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and some guy's been knifed and you're like holding his intestines for him. So I was like, ah, you know what? I'm blessed that I can matchmaking. I'm blessed that I can talk fights. I'm blessed that I can do prediction shows, all that jazz work for fight network work live events. So yeah, I'm not complaining. What's a, what's a rough week for me, 60 hours of watching fights. Big, big, big deal. Not the end of the world in terms of, uh, the parlay is not great. The prop show, much better, right? It's obviously a different way of attacking it. But uh, for a for a parlay, you lose one key piece. It's like you're fucked. It is what it is. For the props, if you look at last week, it's like, damn, Cody went one and three. Within that one and three, it's like, well, Calvin Cater blew his knee out. Lost him by decision. Oh, what can you do? God. And Chase Hoover by TKO. I don't know. What the fuck? I was smoking <laughs> <after that before. laughs> He got. Pass that over here. TKO. There wasn't Chase Hoover TKO. It just wasn't Chase Hoover by TKO uh got smoked out and then uh that waldo uh cortez acosta yep. we hit him by decision plus 475 so yep. the parallels are one and three you missed a couple but the reality is you find those little key pieces of value that are good plus money and this week's no different the three prop parlays are the three props i sent over to you that we'll look at at the end of the show all plus money and i feel good about them so the week before was ko barra i believe plus 175 last week a lot better at that plus 475 But this week, much of the same. I'll give you a little teaser. Chase Sherman He's a decision guy. They are heavyweights, plus 350 by decision on a guy that generally goes to decision against a guy that, if nothing other, can take a punch in the head. Ah, You know what I mean? Could be interesting. So it is MMA. It is gambling. Expect the unexpected. But uh, we've got two and a half hours to Thursday night football. So thanks for joining us, and let's talk some fights.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I even messaged you before this. I didn't really feel the greatest about some of the props for this weekend, but we got to do the show every single week, and even if it's, you know, some minus money or some favorite money props that we got to drop. We got to do that as well. Not saying I have any, but still like we have to kind of lean on those uh, every now and then. Uh, Quick. I, I know my guy's been asking every single week, so I might as well drop the question here for you, Cody. Labyrinth asking, Cody, how is the pony? Let us know how the plan yeah, is.
1: Doing yeah, yeah. So, so DA Jimney Cricket just came back. The plan was we turned him up for three months, gave him some green grass. He came back November 1st. Today was like his third day jogging back. And he's going to jog for the month of November, start training down, probably get a couple starts by late December and then early into the new year. And super optimistic about it, man. Like he's a big, strong, physical horse. Why didn't he race much as a two year old? uh not underdeveloped because he is big and strong but his feet got pinchy right i think because he is a heavy horse he pounds the track pretty fast and he is fast as fuck that i think his feet kind of got to him so the options are shock his feet inject them block them smack him in the ass and put him back in the racetrack or put him in the field and give him the time off in the green grass so that's going to reward us down the road is just not pressuring it but i like the pony so much That I actually went in and bought his full sister at the sale like a week ago. Oh, wow. (laughs) So yeah, so now I got DA Jiminy Cricket and his full sister, DA Big Debut. I'm thinking of changing the name. She's a big gal too, so I was thinking like Large Marge. Um, (laughs) The dad's Big Jim, right? So I feel Uh, like that's, yeah, that's why. But anyways, yeah, I'm super optimistic about it again man life's a journey so do you want to sit back and be like oh man i worked and i took that one vacation to mexico to the, with the family for a week like yeah dude that's dope i'm not knocking on you if you if that's what you do i'm not knocking on you if you can't even afford to do that but just like i just don't want to die at the end of the day and be like i didn't do nothing but sit around so race horses, watch fights man that's to me what it's all about and that's what i want to do as far as I'm concerned, like as far as like your DNA goes and what you are at the core root of yourself, the two oldest sports in the world would be fighting and horse racing. Why? Because caveman one sees caveman two across the way and sees Kay's a little nicer than the one I've been shacking up and he fights them. That's what he does, bro. They fight, they fist fight. It's an art as old as time itself now once caveman one figured out how to mount a fucking horse and caveman Two did it was like i can run this some bitch faster than you can it's in our dna it's in our <clears throat> genetic nature it's like it's raw but it's like to me to that's just where my happiness comes from so now yeah, it's got a kid keeping me up at night but uh so many worse things in the world man so i know this is not the best offering it's not the best card and last week it's not the best card and you know fucking jake so or jake paul getting the dog oh done by God. decision plus 225 i told you that was gonna happen fuck <laughs> pick of the weekend uh yeah it's like it, maybe combat sports gets watered down it's just like there's so much going on they're weak yeah. cards they're not pay-per-views you want to see the big stars but if you're sitting here right now and you're watching the show in and of itself you're a hardcore this is what you love this is what you you seek out this is your entertainment right so people will complain and be like man these are shitty cards but you know to us hardcore fans it's like yeah there's a little couple gems on this there's going to be some violence there's going to be some knockouts there's going to be a few upsets and uh how else would you rather spend your saturday afternoon yeah it starts at right four o'clock yeah another, 4 yeah right early start time i think it get you get done early if you want to go do something saturday night feel free and like the hardcore fan in me is like neil manny daniel rodriguez sign me up a shitty heavyweight fight parisian versus chase sherman <laughs> <laughs> Always that's spot. Time me Third up, bro. Time, time gear versus Nate Maness? Fuck yeah, dude. Nate Maness' flyweight debut, right? Tough, rugged Kentucky boy with yeah. some power. Ulenbekov, maybe a fraud, maybe not, but he's one of Khabib's boys, and they've always been showing them positive results. Mark Madsen, an Olympian, versus Grant Dawson, a top prospect. How could you not like that? Derek Minner, the funnest dude for five minutes on the roster. <laughs> he's, he's five minutes of excitement, and then who knows what happens. Maverick versus Shana Young, I guess I don't care for. Mario Batista, one of my boys. Yeah, that's about it. Carlos Candelario, Jake Cadley, you know, that's dope. And Tamiras Vidal might be the worst fighter that they've signed on the roster oh, in, a really one, in a really long time. Oh, I can't wait to get into that one. In a really long time. So, yeah. so I'm a kid again, bro. I get excited yeah. for this shit. I'm cool with it.
0: Move over, Liver King. Somebody living the real primal life. My guy, Cody Saftek, horse, horse racing and watching guys punch each other in the face. I absolutely love it. All right. Let's get right into the card. And I'm actually, wow, I should have had this ready to go for you guys. But uh, as you guys saw at the beginning of the show, we have uh, one of our main sponsors is the All-Star app. Now, if you guys haven't already got onto it, make sure you guys do, because it's probably one of the best apps that you can have for MMA related things, Uh, you know, from having tail of the tapes to having uh betting odds, uh, live odds as the fights are going on, as well as live fight statistics. Everything is on there for the all-star apps. So Make sure you guys check it out. And just to show off again, the tail of the tape, nice and easy. We'll be going through it over the card, starting off with the first fight of the night. We're going to go with Ramona Pascual going up against Michael Bisping. No, nope, hey. it is Tamiris Vidal in terms of odds. We're going to be looking at minus 140 on Vidal and plus 120 the return on Ramona Pasquale. Now, Pasquale actually opened up as a plus 200 underdog and has gotten steady money over the last couple of days, bringing that down to, like I said, around that plus 120 range. You can even get plus 112 currently on Bet Online, but that is a perfect you know, uh, indication of what Cody was talking about a couple minutes ago in terms of Vidal probably being one of the more poorer signings of the UFC over the last uh, year or so. With Ramona Pasquale, I know the common consensus right now on her is the fact that she's just not good, right? She's only two in the UFC, hasn't really kicked it into gear the way that she should. Some people believe that she deserved to win her last fight against Jocelyn Edwards. Close fight. Yeah, I mean, she obviously got outlanded there with uh, Jocelyn Edwards just kicking her at range pretty much the entire time. But with Ramona's uh back against the wall essentially here, right? If she loses this fight, she likely gets sent packing. Um I'm I'm thinking that this is a good spot to, to back her. And I think a lot of people agree, obviously, because of the big uh, movement that we saw in the betting line. Uh, she can go to her grappling when she needs to. Uh, she's way more active of a striker than what Tamiris does. Uh, you know, Vidal, all I've seen on tape from her striking is a big overhand right, a couple of kicks, and that's it. She wants to drag it to the ground, and she does her best work when she's able to utilize her Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt. But... You know, the wins that she's had are a couple kind of sketchy, right? The Eileen Perez fight, she's losing that fight, and then Eileen Perez can't help but foul her numerous times. Ultimately, the last one was a knee to the downed opponent that ended up stopping the fight. Uh, In uh, her next fight against, Kayla Bragg, I believe her name was. That chick was a a boxer, right? She came over from the boxing realm and she built up a decent MMA record, but she was piecing up Vidal on the feet. Vidal could do nothing about it until about halfway through that second round where she gets a double leg, uh very half-assed double leg. It's like she kind of just mowed her over and just ended up in full mount. She couldn't even finish her from full mount. This boxer got out of full mount, and then Vidal's like, you know what? Let me just stretch back with this heel hook, and I'll get this heel hook and take it on home with me. She was able to get the tap there. But, man, there's nothing on tape that she does that makes me want to bet her as a favorite, right? At minus 150, even at that range earlier this week, like, there's nothing that she does that makes me think that she will, one, work harder than Pasquale, to do anything that is of substantial value in terms of you know winning this fight whether it's from the grappling or even from the striking uh, and should this fight hit the mat, i think we'll see pasquale work uh, decently enough to to get back to her feet and get back this get back into her, her realm which is either her grinding on vidal or even her just out striking her on the feet right she's not this crazy boxer but she does a great job in terms of finding her openings closing that distance, landing a knee, landing a big elbow, landing a big punch, and then getting back out into distance. If she can do that throughout this fight, I have no doubt about that she should get her hand raised. So even at a plus money, plus 125, plus 120, I don't mind the straight-up money line shot, but you guys are here for props. Best prop that I think you can get for this one. And even though she's saying in uh, interviews this week that she's looking for a finish because the judges have screwed her over, she's not finishing anybody. Plus 225 on her to win by decision. Sign me up. What are you thinking here, Cody?
1: Yeah, bro, I'm in the exact same play. I took the plus 200 her by uh, decision. Money line was originally plus 200. You can still get it. You just got to juice it up and go by decision. Only thing I can see possibly going wrong is, if you remember the Jocelyn Edwards fight, she folds her up pretty good with the knee to the body. And like, had Edwards hurt, couldn't finish. And then you see, yeah, she spends most of her time in the clinch. Not a whole lot of finishing ability from the clinch. Therefore, it's going to grind time away from the clock. And, yeah, I just think that eventually it's going to go 15. Ramona Pasqual gets the job done. Um, when I when they originally booked Eileen Perez versus uh, Stephanie Egger, it's like, okay, well, who's Eileen Perez? Let's, let's look into it. And you see that, <laughs> that fight, and it's like, oh, my God. First of all, I can't believe that they signed the field to the UFC. Eileen Perez, yeah. she should have won. She had dominated the fight up until getting disqualified. I'm surprised they signed her. Not the girl that lost, but uh, should have lost. The second thing it was like, oh my! They're like in. This is not a real MMA uh, organization. Where are the judges? Where are the? <laughs> they're like Dude, it's by like, the. It's like a front
0: window of a business. It looks like they're on the second floor of one of those like plazas, and they just set up a cage there. <laughs> it's like it's a rundown building that used to be used for office space.
1: I remember yeah. a buddy of mine, ex-buddy of mine. We, he found an IGA one time. It was a rundown old IGA, remember the grocery stores? And like oh, yeah. the floor had like the lines from where the Aisles would have been and like the wall had like the ig the sign was gone but no it's like way. melted into the wall you know because like where the, like, was this? the wall chain colors. colors was upstate new york actually okay, okay and it okay. was like bro Makes we're sense. fighting in a rundown factory essentially
0: yeah
1: um fought an armory one time like holy crap invicted to those fight church ones where it's like yeah, they that, fought was in a church. that was
0: cool like it like no, from a from dope. a viewer perspective it looked cool
1: from a viewer perspective, it looks super cool, but it's just like, yeah, like strange places for an event. This was like the UFC just signed this girl, and she yeah. literally had fought at like Ronnie's Taekwondo studio, or like, <laughs> or like some rundown office space they threw a cage into. Like even yeah. the ground, like I would be like, I'll just try to knock this person out because I don't want to go to the ground <laughs> and get a staff infection. And <laughs> like it yeah. looks so dirty. <laughs> doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Not only did they sign Eileen Perez, and she goes and gets dominated by Stephanie Edgar and submitted, but they went ahead and signed Tamiris Vidal. She did win the LFA fight, as you mentioned, against a stand-up fighter. Didn't look good early. Eventually got the submission in round two, but I don't see a whole lot out of her. The athleticism isn't quite there. Uh, She likes to be in the clinch. Of course, Ramon Pasquale's best position likely is that clinch. And I feel like Pasquale's just got her beat everywhere. First of all, she's got a little bit of amateur Muay Thai experience, spent time in Thailand, spent time in Southeast Asia, honing her skill. I feel like her striking game is just a little more developed. Since then, she's been at Syndicate MMA. Physically, she's stronger. She's fought in the higher level of competition. She's already got two fights in the UFC. Competitive-ish in both of them, considering in her debut, she got beat up pretty good, man. Like, yeah. eye swollen shut, dropped twice. But at no point did she quit against Josiane Nunes. Kept coming forward and actually went three for, takedown, uh, 3 for 10 for takedowns. So, 3 for 10 doesn't sound good. But did get the 3 takedowns persevered through adversity, there's something there. Second fight against Jocelyn Edwards, or um, Jocelyn Edwards, sorry, Uh, looked much better, You know, hurt her to the body, Uh, may have won that fight, argument that she did, unfortunately, just sickening numbers put up from from Jocelyn Edwards on the outside with constant work rate, constant kicks, constant right hands. She did outwork her, right? So now you're 0-2, but valuable experience. You know she can take a punch. You know she can get those takedowns. Uh, She can do all these things. And then that last little sprinkle on top that that convinces me that you do like her is that both of those fights in the UFC were at 145 pounds, right? Now she's coming down to 135 pounds, which is going to be way more suited to her. She's already good in the clinch. She's already getting takedowns. She took down Jocelyn Edwards as well and, like, you know, shot multiple takedown attempts. She's okay with sticking to that game plan and working you in tight quarters. But at 135, she should be a lot more effective, especially against Tamiris Vidal, who we saw against Eileen Perez, you know, got dominated in the clinch position. So I think she beats her standing. I think she beats her on the ground. Unless she makes a slip-up of some kind and gets caught in a heel hook, she likely wins this fight, likely wins this fight by decision. So I agree with all your points, plus 200. That's where I win as well
0: yeah IG uh, thirst traps normally don't win you fights but she's been looking pretty damn good in terms of making this cut down to 135 pounds so I'm looking forward to seeing what she looks like tomorrow on the scales and then obviously Saturday when she goes in there and handles business All right, let's get to this next matchup it takes place in the men's flyweight division we got uh, British standout Jake Hadley going up against Carlos Candelario in terms of odds we're looking at minus 255 for Jake Hadley and plus 215 the return on Carlos Candelario. Candelario, they, they just keep giving this guy like you know a tough matchup after tough matchup. Last time around in his UFC debut, he went up against Tatsuro Tyra, who, you know, as a whole is you know, similar to Jake Hadley in the fact that both those guys like to go the grappling route. They want to take their opponents to the ground. They want to try to get a submission going or a TKO or a ground and pound, whatever it might be. But we've seen from Candelario time and time again, his defense on the ground is pretty high level, right? Like he's not getting finished by these guys. He's getting put in these bad positions, but he's staying safe. He's not getting submitted. He's not getting ground and pounded at, at, you know, horribly and and getting stopped by those, um, those type of scenarios. But he does a good job in terms of, like I said, defending, reversing position, getting back to his feet. But it sometimes just feels like he is in defense mode a little bit too much, which does not allow him to muster up much offense to make a case with the judges. And I feel like that might be a similar situation here where Jake Hadley is the one landing takedowns, controlling him from on top, looking for finishes, but not getting them because Candelario is just so clean in those spots. Uh, And then if he does get any time to be on top or get back to his feet there's just not enough time for him to to get much going that the judge is going to be like okay you know what he did enough to nullify what uh Hadley did on the mat he landed some good enough strikes on the feet let's score him that round it's not often you're going to be able to get that when you're defending for three minutes in a round and I think that's likely what's going to be happening in these spots so uh, what I looked at was um uh Hadley by decision that's sitting at plus 110 personally I want a little bit better of a number there considering how aggressive he is and how much he actually look for looks for finishes um but I feel like we've seen Candelario deal with some bad situations deal with some bad scenarios and still come out without being finished and I think that's going to be the same thing here so uh, I'll lean Hadley Hadley by decision but that's plus 110 I feel like I just need a little bit more meat on that bone for me to actually get onto it but uh, that's what I'm going to go with what are you thinking here
1: yeah, so I'm kind of thinking that as far as money line goes, I don't want nothing to do with Jake Hadley. Yeah. I don't want to say that he's, like, fraudulent by no means. But keep in mind, this is a guy that splashes onto the scene fighting lower-level guys. He's got a win over a dude that was 0-24. Like, God damn. Yeah. There's a couple good ones in the mix. Blaine O'Driscoll, uh, Luke Shanks, maybe. Gets on the contender series, but he missed weight on the contender series. Came in at 127, right? He was a mental weakness. The matchmakers don't like him. Sean Shelby and McMahon are like, yo, screw this guy. Dana takes a shining to him because Dana loves brash people from Europe. You can talk shit when you're from Europe, and he was undefeated at the time. Yeah, Dana's going to take that flyer on you. So they had heavy hype for him. And when they match him up with Alan Nassimeno, I faded that. Went Nassimeno because I wasn't all that impressed in their Mitch Raposo fight. He lost the first round to Raposo, came back and got him in the second. Against Nassimeno, Nascimento's super dangerous with his grappling, and I think that was for the first time you saw. Hadley is a grappler. He's not looking to exchange on his feet all that much. He's looking to get you down, get on top of you, and work you over. And against most guys, he's been able to do exactly that. But against a, a, a superior grappler, a strong guy, a confident guy like Alan Nassimeno, when he got put on his own back, he had no answer to it, man. He had no game off of his back. So, yeah, I think he'll go out there and he'll be the stronger, more physical guy than Carlos Candelario and probably beats him, sure. The worry for me is that Carlo Candelario, as you mentioned, super defensively sound, good enough to survive, good enough to get out of these bad positions, and if he gets an offensive takedown or two of his own, he could out-grapple him from top, absolutely. When you look at Candelario, uh, he appeared on Dana White's contender series years back, 2017, against that Ron- Ronaldo Candido. That dude's a BJJ black belt. That guy's like high-level grappler. He gets taken down eight times. He gets put in five submission attempts. He fights out of everything. Gets back up every time, outstrikes, and wins the fight. Not enough for Daddy Dana to give him the contract, but you can see his defensive grappling is solid. And beyond that, I mean, he can survive and get back to his feet and use superior volume. Hadley doesn't have great volume standing. Next fight is that Victor Altamirano fight. He should have won. Most people thought he should have won. Yeah. Dana actually gave him a contract to the UFC coming off that loss. Because it was like, well, you won your first fight, and I thought you won the second fight. Come over to the UFC. But in that fight, he gets five takedowns. He gets good offense going. He wins the first two rounds, gasses in the third. But he had taken that fight on like a month's notice, so I gave him a pass. But again, you're seeing offensive takedowns out of him, solid grappling, especially for those first two. And then his last time out against Tatsuya Tyra, it doesn't go his way. But one, as you mentioned, Tyra, a stud grappler. You saw what he did to CJ Vergara, his very next fight. Almost everybody that the kid fights, he takes their back and chokes them out. Candelario, tell the tale. Not only that, he did score two offensive takedowns. Didn't do anything with them. Uh, Tyre gets back up right away and then makes him pay for it. But I almost feel like a guy like Jake Hadley, he could get on top. Even if he gets on the bottom, he's going to be defensively sound. that he might be able to pull the upset. Great thing for us here is that we don't got to take a big plus money play on, on every single fight, right? And in this case, fight goes the distance at minus 200. That looks good to me, man. It's not really that much. Minus 200, all that's heavy. Yeah, that's really not all that bad. And when you really think about this fight, Jake Hadley, never been finished in his career. Eight and one, the one loss against Nassimeno on his back the entire time. Grappling match, decision. He was seven and two as an amateur. Both amateur losses, both by decision. Hadley can take a punch. Hadley can grapple. Hadley can go 15 minutes. is in the exact same position. He can take a punch. He can go 15 minutes. He can grapple. This is grappler versus grappler. There's someone at the same level. If Candelario just plays off his back the whole time, he survives. If he gets on top and makes uh, Hadley pay, Hadley survives. This thing's going the distance, man. So minus 200, that's the safe way to approach it. If you want to get bold and your team Hadley, Hadley by decision like you said. If you want to take a squirt for that underdog and be like, you know what? Don't really like this British kid all that much. Then I think you go Candelario by decision, which is plus 380, I believe. That's that's being bold with it. You want to be safe with it or if you're the kind of guy that – uh, parlay's props which i don't advise minus 200 you know that's 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 a good piece i think
0: yeah, I, I could definitely see this going in the full 50 minutes. And now we're, we're we're really seeing it with these guys that splash onto the contender series with like just bare finishes on the record. As they start taking steps up in competition, you know, I used to be very uh, flimsy with my trigger in terms of just saying under, 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 under. But like you see that once they start face, facing high levels of competition, it gets harder and harder to finish these guys. So uh, yeah, no, I like that uh, approach as well.
1: That kid that come over, uh, Michael Figlak. he was like the Cage Warriors guy. He He was 8-0. And if you looked at the tape from Cage Warriors, it's like, junkyard dog this guy is. He comes forward. He just brutalizes guys. Great cardio, great chin, great punching combinations, very physically strong, gets takedowns. They had cut Faraz Zayem from the roster, but they were in France. So they were like, oh, let's bring him back and give him the undefeated stud from Poland. And he shit kicked Figlak. at no point. Let me repeat that. At no point was Michael Figlak in that fight at all. He wasn't. It was like a giant talent jump, right? Now, he was finishing guys. It wasn't really finishing guys, but he was out working them and looking so clean on the regional scene. It's a bigger jump up when you come here. Hadley was smoking guys as an amateur. He was smoking guys as a pro. He was undefeated. He looked good. He misses weight on his con- contender series fight, loses the first round, and then takes advantage of a tiring opponent. Then in his second fight, as a, he's a decent-sized favorite in the second, yeah, fight.
0: against Nasamento.
1: Well, I remember because I, I, just I faded him. I took Nasamento because it was good plus money, but yeah, he's he's minus two ten, depending on what your book was. The two to one favorite over the guy. On um, based on what? Based on what? While well, he's undefeated and he's this Cage Warriors guy, or he's a European talent and. He won in the contender series. Okay. Does he got any game off his back? Yo, it turned out he doesn't. Or didn't against Alan Alcimena. Who's a stud? I get it. But with Candelario, you give him a full camp. You allow him to train. You allow him to you know, show up in good shape and if you can get a couple takedowns going, he'll put you in the same bad spots. And if he doesn't get on top of you, that's fine. He's still tough enough to just survive, right? Nobody else has been able to finish him. And I don't think Hadley's any better than some of the guys candelaria's already been fighting. So not particularly worried about it, I suppose.
0: Uh, I, I think we're getting a little bit of feedback from the uh, mic or something. It it it's uh it's kind of scraping up against something. That's what it sounds like, similar to when you were in that zipper a while back. I'm not sure if uh okay, your mic or something is uh just a just a heads up there. Yeah. Um all right, I'll I'll move on to the next fight. And if it comes up again during your your spot, I'll let you know. Uh, but just a heads up in regards to that. All right. Let's get to the next matchup here, and I'm intrigued to hear Cody's thoughts Mm -hmm. about this one. It is a bantamweight bout between Ludovic Shalinian and Johnny Munoz Jr. You got minus 240 on Johnny Munoz Jr. And plus 200 on the returning Ludovic Shalinian as he is uh, fresh off defending his country uh, of Ukraine. He was scheduled to fight Nathaniel Wood back in March, but... That was roughly around the start of the Ukraine and Russia war. And uh, he decided to pull out and go help his fellow countrymen. Now he is back and taking on a solid prospect here in Johnny Munoz Jr. Now, originally, I always had some struggles in regards to how to capsule in end, right? Like he has, uh, I think, four or five debuting fighters on his regional scene record. When he goes to the LFA, he finally fights uh, a decent opponent. And Vince Cashero, wins that fight via split decision close fight. I thought he deserved to win it. Like you know, full out, like I thought he won 29-28 pretty easily there. Um, and then he goes on to the Ultimate Fighter House, wins his first fight against, I believe, number one pick, Mitch Raposo, and then goes on to fight uh, Ricky Tercios, and Tercios just turns up the volume on him. He's not able to keep up, and we see Sholinian end up uh, getting eliminated. But the UFC seemed to like him enough to bring him back and uh, have him fight for the UFC, uh, but not without some pushback because he had to go up against J- Jack Shore in his first UFC fight. Like how do you how why why are you doing that to my man uh making him fight a killer like Jack Shore and he made a very good account of himself, man. I remember that week a lot of people were on the inside the distance for Jack Shore there and Chelenian showed off solid defense. You know, I believe he shucked off uh the majority of the takedowns coming his way from uh Jack Shore. Let me just quickly pull up the number here, but he did a uh, phenomenal job in terms of putting pressure on him, staying in his face, uh, stuffing takedowns, and even when he did get taken down, the two times that he got taken down on eight takedown attempts from Jack Shore, he was able to work back to his feet, minimize the amount of control time from Jack Shore, and uh, you know do enough work on the feet, but... It was just uh, even on the back foot, Jack Shore was kind of touching him up with the boxing and just outlanding him. You know, he he did uh, did not land uh, a ton of damage that night, but I like the pressure and the forward movement that we saw from him. Now he's going up against Johnny Munoz Jr., who on the mat is a BJJ ace, right? This guy's been rolling for years and years since he was a kid, pretty much. And uh, you can see it when fights do hit the ground. But I'm still questioning his ability to get fights to the ground, right? He doesn't show that great of a percentage on uh, UFC stats, but I believe the majority of that is from his fight against uh, Nate Maness. He landed two takedowns on 16 attempts that night. Like, he is he is the new age Damian Maya, if you want to call him that, right? He's just looking to get fights to the ground and get his BJJ going because his striking, very limited in my opinion, right? It's a lot of kicks from the outside. It's a lot of just waiting for his opportune moment to close that distance change levels, go for a double leg and get you down, similar to what he did against uh, Jamie Simmons. But how often is that going to work? And against – and, like, uh, at what level is it going to stop working, right? It didn't work that much against Nate Maness. There was a close fight still with Nate Maness, but he just struggled to get that fight to the ground. Here again, Shalinian. I think Shalinian has good enough wrestling to keep this fight upright for the most part. And then on the feet, I think with the the height advantage, I believe he will have a reach advantage here as well. Uh, that's actually the reach is pretty much the same, but he does have a one inch height advantage. That's what some that's something that Johnny Munoz normally uh, enjoys in his fights is the height and reach advantage. He's not going to have that here, right? He's not towering over Jamie Simmons in this matchup, right? Um, so I think that will see Shalinian kind of put the pressure on him, stay in his face. Land some shots. Uh, I don't know if there's much striking in terms of Munoz's uh, boxing and hands. I think a lot of it comes from his kicks. And I don't know how much he's going to be able to get off on those, especially when he's on his heel, uh, on his heels and just moving backwards the entire time. I need Shalinian to stop a couple takedowns here. Even if he does get taken to the ground, he's shown good enough submission defense. That I think that this guy can get back to his feet and then just get back to the rinse and repeat. Move forward, throw strikes, land big strikes. I don't know if he finishes... Johnny Munoz Jr., but I think he lands enough damage to get his hand rages in this spot. So I liked him enough to pull the trigger on his money line at uh, around plus 195 earlier this week. But uh, I I think his best win condition is to win by uh, decision here. Sorry. Uh, And that's currently sitting at plus 300. Not a bad line. I would personally just take the money line over that in case, you know, his pressure and pace starts to become too much for Johnny Munoz Jr. here and he ends up finishing him on the feet uh, with... A combination or a flurry or something like that. But uh, if you are putting a gun to my head via decision, plus 300, Ludovic Shalinian upset. What are you thinking here? Am I talking out of my ass or do you think Muniz Junior wraps him up in a pretzel?
1: No, I mean, honestly, it's just not a fight that I'd want a ton of exposure to. Like, I'm not super confident either way. So I, I don't know that you could have, like, a really good strong lean. But I, I am going to go with Johnny Munoz Jr. Ludovic Shalinian, I'm not seeing quite enough out of him. Um, yeah, maybe shit. Maybe he he clips him with a combination or the strike him becomes too much, like you mentioned. Or Johnny Munoz is kind of chinny and gravely knocked him out his last time. Out. Like Ludovic, Ludovic Shalinian has one knockout win in his professional career. And is in 2019 for Gladiator Challenge against an 0-0 opponent. The rest of his career, bro, is sketchy. Like, here's a guy that makes his pro debut in 2015, and yet there's a three-year gap between his pro career and 2018, and yet he competes at an amateur tournament while already an established 5-0 professional and loses in the amateur tournament. So all of his fights, for the most part, are in Ukraine. They're almost always against 0-0 guys. When they do bring him stateside, he lost um, in Bellator to Cinemar Honorio. Did not look good. He The Vince Cachero fight, very low level. Did not look good gets onto the ultimate fighter off a couple you know decision victories i'm not seeing that like killer instinct out of him and i know what you're saying is last time out against jack shore it's like well he only got taken down twice on on eight attempts and he only got gave up five minutes of control time and he landed 19 significant strikes in a fight that he had tons of opportunities to throw he just chose not to he was super like hesitant of maybe the takedown or hesitant of getting at work. Like he just didn't throw the, he didn't show killer instinct. He didn't show combination boxing and he didn't show enough power to land something to change the tide of the fight. So that's the thing with Johnny Munoz Jr. It's not impressive that he went two for 16 in takedown attempts against uh, Nate Maness. No, but it is impressive that he shot 16 takedown attempts because it's a numbers game. You don't have to get him on every single attempt. You got to continuously stay to the game plan. And in that case, he got him down in the jamie simmons fight simmons not that good of a wrestler so he's able to get him down and he, you see the top level bjj he's got i guess tony gravely tony gravely is a three-time state champion out of virginia you know a guy that wrestled collegiately at appalachian state the guy's a hell of an athlete and a good power puncher talk to nate maness about that one nate actually did win the fight but you know gravely's <laughs> got some massive power in his hands when he lands on you so i'm not taking anything away from there I think if Johnny Munoz doesn't have good enough wrestling to take Shalinion down on the first, second, third attempt, that's fine. Just stay on him. Continuously shoot those shots. In terms of the striking, yeah, I would say Shalinion's a better striker, but I'm worried about the volume. He's just not wanting to throw a whole lot, whereas Johnny Munoz will outwork you a little bit ever so slightly. I would give maybe a strength advantage to Shalinion in the clinch. I feel like he could just press him up against the cage and kill time off, but I'm hoping that Munoz is going to find a way to get under the ground or uh, just outwork him straight up. So... Uh, the other thing I would say is I'm looking at this fight to go to uh, to decision, minus 185. With Munoz, is he going to take down Shalini and submit him? Listen, he's got great BJJ, but it took him two rounds to get Jamie Simmons out of there, first of all. And second of all, Shalini's tough. He's tough. He's durable. He doesn't show a whole lot of um, finished losses. I think he's going to be okay with, if he does get taken down and get out grappled, he'll still survive. In terms of the fight stay standing, Johnny Munoz doesn't got no punching power or some, some great dynamic striking that he's knocking out Ludovic Shalinian. And the flip side of that was Shalinian. As I just outlined, he has one knockout win in his entire career dating back seven years. And it was a, a gladiator challenge show against an 0-0 opponent who's now 0-2. Just doesn't do enough for me. So, I would have to say this thing's earmarked to go to decision, which is minus one eighty-five. Not terrible. Flip side to that, if you were going to take, um, if you were going to pull the trigger on Johnny Munoz, I think you'd probably take him by decision at that plus one fifteen, plus one twenty mark, and that's where I would I would lay it. Last but not least, last night baby was up crying, so I'm like, oh, well, this will be a while. What am I going to put on Netflix? And I watched that uh, "All Is Quiet on the Western Front," <laughs> bro. How are you going from mugging battle? to fight the no, in the guy in a cage. like I want to see that fucking
0: movie so PTSD,
1: bad. Your PTSD, it's good, bro. It was good. But it's also like, yeah, I mean, war's a really shitty thing. Yeah. I, I know times are different. That's World War One. This yeah. is nowadays. You're probably fine, but Same thing goes, like, you know, you don't want to be in a building because these buildings are all getting blown up. You don't want to be, like, in an exposed area. So you're forced to live in the trenches. You're forced to live in these shitty areas. You're forced to inhale the dust and deal with the blood and deal with your your friends getting killed or disappearing. And, like, that's stress in itself. And now the UFC offers you a fight, you come back. I'm sure the guy's eager to get in there. I'm sure he's eager to throw hands. I'm sure he's eager to get the win. I just don't know that... He's put himself in the best position to win a competitive prize fight. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. And he's a live underdog this weekend. It's just I I pulled trigger on other dogs on the card. This wasn't one of them. I did take Johnny Munoz, and I'm going to take FICO's the decision and Munoz by decision.
0: Finally, some dissension amongst me and Cody. Four fights or three fights into the card, but I knew we we're eventually going to get there. Looking forward to seeing how this one plays out. All right, let's get to the next matchup, which takes place in the women's. Strawweight division, we got Jin Yu Fry going up against Poliana Vienna. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus one hundred and forty for Vienna and plus one hundred and twenty for Jin Yu Fry. Seems like the odds are slowly widening on the uh, Vienna side, as I remember it cl- being close to a pickem earlier this week. She opened up minus one hundred and forty, and now has steadily made her way back to that price tag after going up to minus one hundred and ten. <clears throat> We know what we're getting with her, right? She is a somewhat of a chaotic fighter. She likes to use her BJJ. She likes to use her wild, unorthodox striking to put her opponents into bad positions, so that she can eventually either take them to the ground or get them into the clinch, pull off an armbar, whatever the hell it might be. She's looking for the finish more often than not. She has a hundred percent finish rate in twelve of her 12 professional wins. That's what she's looking to do. Jinyu Fry, on the other hand, a little bit more bit of a pace right like she likes to be a little bit more disciplined she wants to establish her striking if she's looking to get you to the ground she does a good job in terms of establishing her top position staying out of you know danger for the most part but she likes a clean fight she does not like a dirty fight at all and i think that's where poliana vienna can kind of throw her throw throw a wrench in the those plans and i think that that's where my 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 read on the under starts to come in because I love I love betting violence. You know this about me, Cody. We've been doing this show for almost a year and a half now. I like betting violence, especially when you can give me a nice plus 200 price tag on it. That's kind of what I'm feeling here because I could see, you know, Vienna. Yes, okay, in her last fight against Tabitha Ricci, she got grinded out in that matchup, right? Tabitha Ricci, just as good jujitsu, maybe better. But she's able to get the fight to the ground, and she's able to just stay safe from on top. She doesn't really f- deal with much adversity there. Whereas Jenny Fry, we've seen her get tapped, you know, with somebody off uh, off their back. Like we've seen that happen in the past. Kay Hansen uh, is the most recent example that I can remember pulling out of Vienna is one of those spots that like, if she senses any bit of give in that guard situation, she's going to be attacking an arm. She's going to be attacking a submission of some sort. And I expect her to eventually be in that position. But even when they're on the feet, that's where the chaos comes into play, which is where I think that a lot of the finishing opportunities can happen, whether it's from a club and sub situation from either side, whether it's a pure knockout situation from either side, I think it could happen. Ginny Fry, not much of a knockout artist, right? 11 wins, seven coming, or sorry, um, 11 wins, one of them coming by knockout, two of them coming by submission. But for me, it's all about matchups, right? Last week we had Jin, uh, Jun Young Park not having a single finish inside the UFC, but finally gets a finish over Joseph Holmes because of stylistic matchups. And I think that's what we're getting here with Poliana Vienna and her. Like, I. I don't want to call her the 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 female Brandon Roy Val by any means, right? But like she is one similar who likes to introduce chaos into her fights and try to either take advantage of it by putting her opponent into an uncomfortable position, or she sh- succumbs to it and gets finished in her own right. So I lean Vienna by sub as my like my favorite specific prop, and in terms of odds for that, you can get uh Vienna by sub at plus three hundred, but. Just in case of any other type of fuckery, I'm hoping for the under two and a half year, which is sitting at plus 200. That's my favorite prop for this spot. Um, I haven't pulled the trigger on it officially yet, but I will definitely be doing it before the fights kick off. Um, I could see a fry lay and pray, like as my guy MPTV is uh is saying in the chat here as well. That That's absolutely on the table, but given how live Vienna usually makes herself by being aggressive, whether it's off her back or whether it's on the feet, I think the under has a chance of hitting here. And I do not think that Fry has as good as Jiu-Jitsu as girls that have been able to grind out Vienna from on top in the past, right? She's lost to J.J. Aldrich, as J.J. Aldrich has been able to keep the fight standing and utilize her superior boxing, technical boxing. Hannah Cyphers was similar in terms of keeping this fight upright and utilizing her you know, more devastating strikes on the feet. If, you know, we can talk shit about Hannah Seifers as much as we want, right? She used to be the butt of the joke when she was in the, the thick of her UFC career. But one thing we always knew with her is when she was on the feet, she's throwing with heat, whether it's her elbows, whether it's her strikes, that's how she was able to get the better of Vienna that night. Um, Yeah. I I still think Vienna likely wraps up a sub here or gets finished in her own right off of her own chaos, but I'm going to take the under as my favorite prop for this one, Vienna by sub, my specific prediction what about yourself?
1: Yeah, I don't bet Viana, especially if she's a money line <laughs> favorite. This not not going to happen. So just like to go go through it. So the JJ Aldridge fight that was almost five years ago, and JJ Aldridge was not all that good. And Paula 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 Viana, sorry, Pollyanna Viana went one for five on takedown attempts. Gassed out, looked awful standing. Technically, I was struck by the numbers, but terrible performance, abysmal, loses one for five on takedowns. The Hannah Cyphers fight. You know why that fight never hit the ground? She never even shot a takedown. She shot zero takedowns. She was comfortable standing in front of Hannah Cyphers and and throwing superior volume. And she did outwork her on the volume count, but even Cyphers dropped her, scored a knockdown, won two of three rounds, won the decision. That's a bad look. Her versus Veronica Macedo. Veronica Macedo is undersized and a taekwondo specialist and a karate specialist. And she (laughs) armbars her from out guard. A this minute. is the level we're dealing with. Vienna supposed yeah. to be a BJJ champion and yet gets out grappled by J.J. Aldrich. By the way, took Aldrich down and Aldrich literally pushes her away and just stands back up. It's like, yeah, this girl might be a little bit fraudulent. Where'd she get this black belt? Where'd she win this world championship? Now Emily Whitmire. Well, Emily Whitmire is in the category of people you could probably armbar from guard. So she <laughs> does. She gets the win. Don't you have a specific
0: name for her, by the way?
1: Oh, Emily Schittmeier. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, you earned the nickname for a reason. Things like this. (laughs) Mallory Martin. Mallory Martin took her down, got armbar from guard, got cut from the UFC, took a fight for Octagon MMA, which, by the way, if you have the All-Stars app, you can check out uh, tons of great betting lines. Great app, by the way. Um, But, yeah, I mean, she loses a fight in Octagon. Mallory Martin, not that level. Armbar's her from guard. Sure, you can do that. Now, Now, Tabitha Ricci. Tabitha Ricci has... Decent grappling. She's able to take her down five times and just sit in her guard and not worry about anything. And that's what she does. So to me, Vienna's a one-trick pony. Her wins in the UFC are come by very quick submissions against subpar competition that immediately got released. And her losses are like not even to that good of competition either. In fights that she can't get the fight to the ground, she shows a thirty-three percent takedown accuracy. And even worse than that, she's got a 50% takedown defense. She can't wrestle at all, not offensively or defensively. She's given taking downs to Maya Stevenson took her down. Um, Mallory Martin took her down. Tabitha Ricci with the five takedowns. I feel like the wrestling's not quite there. So the issue with Yu Frey is could she, in theory, out grapple her? Maybe, yeah, but she need takedowns. And taking down Ginny Frey, I think, is going to be a lot easier said than done because she's a competent enough wrestler. But also, offensively, is not a good wrestler. So if the fight... Is dictated by Yu Frey. If she wants to keep it standing, then she's a better striker than her. It'll be pot shots, but I think she's going to her. If she wants to take the fight to the ground, it's going to be her actively engaging, taking her opponent down. Now, you mentioned one small mistruth is that she's got a history of getting submitted from opponents. Kay Hansen's actually the only person that's ever submitted Yu Frey. Yu Frey was winning that fight and got caught by a flying armbar. She is a BJJ black belt. Her husband Douglas Frey is a BJJ black belt, and it's the only time in her career she's ever been submitted. So I'm not worried about her getting flash fucking armbar from guard. She's 37 years old. She's a veteran of the game. She's fought girls like Ayaka Hamasaki in Japan and lived to tell the tale. She can grapple, man. I'm not concerned about that. It's that this is a low-level women's MMA fight that it's going to get greasy, and it's going to get greasy fast. And armbars from guard or greasy decisions are live in play. You went with the armbar from guard. I went with the greasy decision. Jin Yu Frey, by decision, 115 uh fight goes the distance it's just it's not not good value like you said you think it's inside the distance that was the value side of it i won't argue too much there but uh funnily enough my book offers plus 115 for Yu frey and plus 115 for Ginu frey by decision
0: <laughs> it's the same line it's- yeah yeah anyway, bitch ain't knocking anybody yet. she's not submitting anybody but she could win I and see, I think- I'm seeing plus 165 on a couple of spots for a decision. I got to get serious. at those
1: books, man. <laughs> because Unfortunately, uh Bovada <laughs> was too wise to the fact that Jinyu Frey, listen, if Vienna g- goes back to the same thing, you're looking at this as an inside the distance pick. It's an inside the distance pick. If Vienna was some great inside the distance fighter, wh- why is she going 15 minutes with Hannah Cyphers, right? Like why, why was she not able to execute in that fight against a low level of opponent? Because yeah, I just feel like she's fighting at her opponent's levels. Emily Whitmire, Mallory Martin, uh, Joe Stevenson's wife, Maya, who just n- never quite got there. It's low level. They got released for a reason shortly thereafter. None of them had success on the regional scene immediately after or afterwards at all for a reason. That's the level she's fighting at. Is Jin you Frey cuttable? Is, is she someone that you could release? Yeah, I guess so, but she's earned her roster spot. Uh, her last fighting against Vanessa Demopoulos. Do you think she lost that fight? I don't. I thought she outworked her. I thought she landed the better shots. She had a bad third round, but up until then, she fought pretty smart. Had they given her that decision and most people thought they should have, she'd be on a three-fight winning streak right now. Ashley Yoder is arguably better than Paula, Paula, Pollyanna Viana. Vanessa Demopoulos is better than Pollyanna Viana. Gloria De Paola, not that good. Probably around the same level. So to me, she's fought in the better level of competition. She's only got the one submission loss. She's got a better striking acumen. She's normally really low um, volume, but of course, the last two fights, she's upped it to about that 60 significant strike um, landed range, which is better. I just got to roll with her. I, how could you love it? But I, I got I to gotta roll with her. So slight underdog. I'm going to take the slight underdog, Ginny Frey.
0: Yeah, those are really the two spots I see. Either a a greasy decision or we do get their armbar for guard. Something is just compelling me to the armbar from guard situation here. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Other than the under, I likely won't have too much skin in the game in this matchup. All right, let's get to the next matchup here. We got Mario Bautista going up against Benito Lopez. In terms of odds, we got minus. 300 now on Mario Bautista, I'm plus 250 the return on the returning Benito Lopez, who's also been out of the cage for an extended period of time. I've been trying to find out exactly why I could not, um, you know, there's no articles about it. He hasn't really done any interviews or anything. Uh, all I can find is the fact that this guy just got his real estate license uh, a couple months ago. So. Maybe a change of career incoming soon here for Benito Lopez. Maybe he needs a stack of cash here, win or lose, to help him fuel that uh, passion to become a real estate agent. But we're talking about fights here. We're not talking about careers. So in terms of the way that these guys match up, uh, Benito Lopez, uh, a big kicker, right? Likes to stay at distance, kick his opponents from from distance. Uses his hands ever, you know, every now and then. Um, it seems like he prefers to keep fights in the upright position uh, by just just touching these guys up from distance. That's pretty much his entire game. Like the fight against Vince Morales was a very uh, back and forth fight where you had the no, the dog is not barking uh, in this matchup, Alfred. So you better keep it quiet over there. But. Uh, In regards to his matchup against Vince Morales, uh, a lot of it was just like kicking against boxing, right? Vince Morales was just strictly using his hands. Benito Lopez using his kicks from the outside. And he did enough damage to actually uh, get the W that night. Uh, So good win for him there. But he's been out of the cage since July of 2019. Like they were still well into the Reebok era before he even, you know, uh, has been back into the cage. Uh, So that's a big red flag for me to begin with. And then you're talking about on the flip side with Mario Bautista, who has made endless amounts of improvements since the last time Benito Lopez has even stepped inside the cage. Yeah, I get why the majority of people are on the Benito Lopez, or sorry, the, the Mario Bautista side here. Because he is more active. This guy is a guy that doesn't give a fuck about real estate or any other job because he wants to do this thing full time. He's a great striker, throws in combinations, utilizes his movement very well. On the ground, I think he is much better than Benito Lopez as well. So he might even look to take it there to try to stay safe. Um, but even on the feet, man, like I really think he touches up uh Benito Lopez here. I am kind of skeptical about the method of victory here because I could possibly see a finish because we don't know what kind of Benito Lopez we are getting. And also Mario Bautista, this guy wants to go in there and buzzsaw through his competition as much as possible. Um, I ended up leaning Bautista inside the distance, which currently sits around plus 165. But I actually ended up just parlaying his money line, man. Like I think that this is one of those safer spots on the card this week where he's going to win, but I just can't put my finger on how he's going to win. Whether it's just out striking him, whether it's out pointing him, that's obviously live. But then uh, even the possible finish as well there, uh, depending on if he gets him to the ground, looks for submission opportunities, clips him on the feed, club and sub situation, it's all live here for uh, Mario Bautista. I think that this is a great matchup for him and a very poor choice of opponent for Benito Lopez to be going up against after such a long layoff. So give me Bautista, Bautista inside the distance. But Bautista parlay piece, probably the best way to go about it. What are you thinking here, Cody?
1: Yeah, I think probably the same thing. If you were Ben Benito Lopez, it'd be nothing other than speculation. He's been off for a long time. Maybe he's improved. Kid's only 28 years old, so of course, even though he's been off for like 40 months or something, um, yeah, it's not crazy to think that he improved in that time off, but he's actually been injury-riddled for a while. If you go back to he was supposed to fight Ricky Simone. He pulls out of the Ricky Simone fight with a sprained ankle, right? Then he got rebooked to fight Manny Bermudez and that ankle injury was still persistent. So they did book the Manny Bermudez fight and he loses first round. And that was like a two year long layoff almost since his last performance because of this ankle injury. That's how long it plagued him. Since that loss, he's been off for an additional three and a half years. And a lot of it is the ankle. He's had a couple other nagging injuries as well, but To deal with all that, you're not obviously in the gym, grinding, getting better every day, improving every day. A lot of it is just nursing the injuries, rehabbing injuries, trying to get back to where you were. So still young, 28 years old, but I I don't know that I expect him to come in with some, some crazy reinvented style. Uh, How he could win this fight, make it dirty, get in Mario Batista's face, try to clip him with something, uh, You probably go with the overhand. You see with Mario Batista, extremely, extremely talented fighter, uh, very, very solid, but you can put some pressure on you. You can make it a greasy fight. You can make it dirty, stay in the pocket, and maybe that's the best pass. Against Trevin Jones, I thought he won the first round, but you could tell that Trevin Jones was starting to get to him and frustrated by the end of the first. In the second, early in the second, of course, he gets knocked out by Trevin Jones. I feel like that would be a similar path for Benito, possibly get in the pocket, stay in range, take a shot to give a shot, but hopefully fire something back. The issue with that is Trevin Jones has got a lot of pop in his hands and Benito Lopez, not quite as much. He can land a punch, but I don't think he's got that devastating punching power that's going to somehow catch Mario Batista off guard. So volume, got to go Batista, athleticism, speed, punching power, kind of all Mario Batista's way. Low key, I think he's got the wrestling advantage. Benito Lopez has spent a lot of time at Team Alpha Male. No doubt he knows how to wrestle i bet you could stuff a few takedowns but seeing him get submitted by manny bermuda is that quick i understand it's 2019 it's 2017 it's a long time ago but seeing him losing that quick i feel like uh, mario batista is kind of on another level he submitted brian keller his last time out like nothing you know a very flawless victory you see him making a lot of improvements he's probably got him all over the place i did however decide to go with the mario batista by decision plus 150 why benito lopez pretty durable guy he's only pro lost to vince morales uh, by decision prior to that he had taken some decent shots he got dropped by vince morales in that fight pops back up renewed he's been off for a while doesn't have knockout problems the submission would be my biggest worries that mario batista submits him but again time off probably been working on his jiu-jitsu because that's one of those things that you could still actively you know uh, keep doing generally while you're injured you can kind of find work around and i just need him to go out there show up as a better version of himself but go the three rounds lose the decision to mario batista that's uh, what I decided to go with. Is it, the last thing is is Benito Lopez, I mean, he's not the world's like sexiest prospect. He's not really a prospect at all. He was an undefeated guy, but I don't think the results were necessarily all that much there. But uh, he shows a win over Steven Peterson, right? He beat Journey News, and he beat Albert Morales. They're all decent enough victories. His loss, or his, his fight his last time out with Vince Morales. The tough part there is if you go to MMA Decisions every single person scored the fight for Vince Morales
0: every boxing people love punches wonderful. to the face rather than kicks from the outside yeah and Not for and judges that, that night though
1: right and then that being said it's like Vince Morales outstruck him 64 to 54 and knocked him down and every media member scored the fight for Vince Morales so how how did Benito Lopez get that win? I don't know. Rewatching We're it, the and it's competitive. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just shitty judges. It is what it is. He's one of these guys, he's a generalist. He'll go through the motions. He's not a high caliber wrestler, striker, grappler, anything of that means. But I think he's tough and I think he's with it. And I think he should be able to survive the 15 minutes. So I did go with Batista by decision plus 150. Um, but as we talk about it more and more, it's like I need him to show up slightly better than he did in, in prior fights because uh, Batista is getting better and better and has a dangerous submission game and I just need Benito to be good enough to survive. That's what I'm hoping on. he's going to come out here and win. I need him to lose. I got Batista, but I need him to survive, and I think he should be able to do that.
0: Shout out to uh Benito fighting all the pretty much the Latin American fighters. The UFC has to offer you, right? Albert Morales, Manny Bermudez, Vince Morales, Mario Bautista. Like give him a, a redneck from fucking Iowa, I, uh, Ohio or some shit. Hey, That's
1: he right. has fought Steve Peterson.
0: And that uh, series.
1: Benito Lopez, technically probably Latin American. I mean, I'm sure he's American born, but so is you know pretty much I mean. everybody else. Vince Morales, yeah. Albert Morales. He's taking on back-to-back (laughs) Morales. That's what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I think at 28, he could still show improvements. He could still get better. His fighting prime is not for another three years, but it's very difficult when you're dealing with injuries. And same thing with Ludovic Shalini, and he's dealing with war. He's dealing with your sole focus is not training to fight somebody. It's something else. And I had a good conversation with a pro fighter buddy of mine right before I jumped on the show. And uh, he was talking, he had this sweet prospect. This kid's going to be the next big thing. He's a three-time combat Sambo champion. Uh, He's at the gym. He's he's working on his straight Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but he can strike. He can wrestle. And it's like, he's from the Ukraine. And uh, it was just like, man, like, what's going on? This guy used to talk about him every day. And he's like, man, he had come over from Ukraine for like four months, gets a visa, trains every day, guy's going to be a world champion. And then his girlfriend gets a visa and comes over. Hasn't been to the gym since. (laughs) That's life, brother. That's life. Not everybody can just commit themselves to burning all their personal relationships. No birthday parties. No Thanksgiving. No Christmas. uh, No New Year's. No, your, your friend's got something. Oh, it's a diaper party. The guys are getting together and having beers. Like Your entire focus is one singular task. And that's, you have to be selfish. You have to be, I want to be the best that I can possibly be. And, 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 and that's that's how you take it to the next level. Most of these guys, a lot of these guys married, sure. But if you want to be like the top guy, you have to be like George St. Pierre. You have to be like Khabib. Uh, John Jones, he's a piece of shit. So, you know, he got away with just being a piece of shit husband. But, you know, if you want to be a good husband, you can't be a good martial artist. You can't be the best at something without neglecting something else. And so with Mario Batista's case, I'm sure that he wants to be a pro athlete. But, but keep in mind, he's also a human being. So this guy's contract for the UFC, he came in on a 10 and 10 for Albert Morales. He won that. That's a 12 and 12. He's at about on a maybe 14 and 14 at best, meaning he'd make 14,000 show up. 14. Oh, man, to I'd win. be
0: surprised. Really? You think he's still that low? Like what? You think he's higher? than?
1: Oh yeah. You know, yeah. At least 20. No. Okay. It's funny you say that. So if you check on the Vince Morales fight, his last time out, he was on a 12 and 12. And he made twenty-four thousand dollars to fight Vince Morales. So now sorry, sorry, I I thought you were talking about
0: Bautista. My bad, my bad. Yes, no, he hasn't fought that often. Yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah,
1: I'm talking about Benito Lopez. It's like you made 14 and 14 in your last fight, it's twenty-eight thousand dollars, right? So it's less than a minimum wage job, plus you had to pay taxes on it, plus you had to eat clean, organic, and take supplements and pay your coaches and get rides and pay gym fees. Like, no, it's not cheap at all, right? So now you take 40 months off. What do you think the guy's been doing? You think he's been sitting around? No. You think he's been in the gym all the time? No, it's been working. You got to get a job. Your manager's not just going to pay to float you on the sidelines so that you can come back and make a 16 and 16 and hopefully win. Like, no, man, you got to go out there and do it yourself. So you're rehabbing injuries. You're trying to get back in camp. The ankle gives out again. You take more time off. You're, you're, Your financial situation is even worse now. You're a little bit older. You start getting down on yourself because you've missed out on all these great opportunities to go hang out with friends and family, to focus on your singular goal, and it's not panning out the way you want. That's tough life situation shit that gets dropped on you. So to take 40 months off and deal with all these different things and to come back, you can do it. 100% you can do it. But you said this to start the breakdown, and that stands true to end the breakdown they're doing him no favors with Mario Batista. Like, well, why are you coming back and fighting him? Like, get your feet wet in the division, get a win or two, and fight a contender series guy. It's
0: like rematch Steven Peterson, no. for God's sakes. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. Something of that level. Like they couldn't yeah. have given the guy can Chase Hooper at 145. Literally, the name
0: game. that was coming out of
1: <laughs> You can do the guy a little bit of a solid. He's been yeah. off this long, yeah. but yeah, in the UFC, it's like it's a sink or swim. And you have yeah. to realize in the UFC standpoint. For the last 40 months, Benito Lopez has been on the healthcare program, likely billing the doctor because he's been injured, likely getting treatment, likely getting physio. And at no point did they release him from the contract, which if they did, he'd have to pay that out of pocket. Instead, he has coverage through the UFC's medical plan. They kept him on the roster for that long. So now you don't come back and get a layup. You come back and you have to fight and prove that you uh you're a company guy, and that's what he's doing here. I think mean, he loses. Thing is, we gotta attack him from a prop standpoint. And I'm going to go with that Batista by decision at plus 150.
0: All right, let's get to this next matchup. We're going to be talking about a matchup that was actually supposed to take place a couple months ago, uh, but now they have rescheduled it. We got a flyweight bout here between Miranda Maverick, who's coming in as a minus 600 favorite, plus 450 to return on Shanna Young. These are the fights where where props mean the most, right, Cody? Where you want to take that minus 600 and try to make it into a better number. Because I don't know how many people are lining up at the betting window to bet Shanna Young in this spot, right? Miranda Maverick is the the darling on the block, even though she's taken a couple of losses. Uh, one of them, uh, maybe not as deserving as the other, right? The the Macy Barber fight, where a lot of people thought that was probably the worst robbery in UFC history. Uh, and then she gets beat just by a much better prospect in Aaron Blanchfield in the fight after that. So couple of hiccups in the road but she still is you know full throttle ahead trying to make that top 10 top five of this division and she has the potential to be that if her progression continues at the rate that it is right i love the the fact that she moved away from that whole Mackin seminary camp and is actually training with you know legitimate other ufc fighters up there in denver now uh training with the you know the elliot marshalls of the world and um you know, in, in terms of training partners, you're getting the Rick Paddingtons, Pennington's, the Tisha Torres's, the JJ Aldrich's, like th- that crop of women. If they continue just to rely on each other, I think they will be able to, well, at least a girl like Miranda will be able to make it a little bit further um, and very much benefit from it rather than just rolling with fucking Mack and Semiser over there in, what was it, Missouri or something, wherever, they, or Oklahoma that they were. um, But her skill set, she's developing her striking. Her grappling is great. Uh, She's just an ox in the cage, right? She's very hard to deal with in terms of her strength. And I think that's the advantage that she'll likely have here over Shannon Young, who prefers fights to be striking more than anything right like she prefers to utilize her striking but more often than not opponents are trying to take her to the ground and just grind her out and finish her from on top that's what uh macy kia was able to do she pretty much big sistered her the entire freaking fight and then she was uh I, I yeah she just grinded her out over the 50 minutes but uh miranda maverick here i think she cruises in this matchup cody i think that she gets this fight to the ground and from there it's not going to be long until she either one wraps up a submission or just postures up and starts getting some uh, big shots going from on top. Now, she only has one knockout when on her record, which was that nasty cut that she opened up on Liana Jojua uh, at the uh, beginning of COVID. So more often than not, she'll likely be going for that submission. But given how much grappling dominance I'm expecting from her in this matchup, Either win condition is live for me. Whether it's Maverick by TKO, which is sitting at plus four fifty, Maverick by decision plus one thirty. The one that I like the most is Maverick inside the distance minus one hundred five. You know, even the under two and a half at minus one ten, minus one fifteen is live. But I think the the bulk of the finishing uh, equity here comes from the Miranda Maverick side. Even though you know Shannon Young fifty percent finish rate, not too shabby for women's MMA. But I do think that Maverick is going to establish that. um, That top position, either find a submission or find a TKO finish. Give me Maverick inside the distance, minus 105. Let's run that shit up. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this one, Cody.
1: Yeah, yeah, mixed opinions. The money line is just blown out of proportion, but I think we all agree that Miranda Maverick's going to win the fight, and so you run it back. Okay, well, they fought once before, and Miranda Maverick effortlessly submitted her in the first round, so probably going to do the same thing right and the submission prop not great plus 145 random maverick by submission if you're not overthinking it that's the way to go random maverick by tko she don't got any tko wins one in her entire career against joshua on a cut stoppage so it's not really there could she overwhelm her sure but you know, for someone that's that physically built, she's not big on the ground and pound. Instead, she'll just, like, smother you, tire you out, and then look to take the neck. So I could see her doing the exact same thing as Shannon Young, grabbing the neck, and if that's the case, plus 145. If you want to just play it a little bit safer, you take the, the straight-up inside-the-distance even money. But... Um, Yeah, you mentioned Miranda Maverick by TKO 450. One good thing about my book, anyways, we got a better line here. You can get it at 650, plus 650 (laughs) out of Maverick by TKO. And that's not going to happen for any other reason than she's going to take Shane Young down, she's going to take her back, she'll look for the choke, Young's going to defend, and she'll just keep pitter-pattering away until she's tired, and the ref steps in and stops it. And that is live. It's absolutely live. It's live in these grappling spots, and it's live for Maverick that wants to go out there and make a statement. If you're uh, if you're her opponents, like, man, I've been rear naked choked by her before. And on top of that, I got rear naked choked by Sarah Alpar. And I got submitted by Stephanie Edgar. Work on your submission defense, first and foremost, for sure. So maybe Shannon Young's able to fight hands a little bit better this time. But I feel like um, Random Maverick's pressure and pace will just eventually be able to get the job done i did not think she looked good in her last fight against sabina mazzo she was losing all the striking exchanges and then thankfully was able to just get the fight down whenever she wanted she bailed herself out but no doubt she's making improvements no doubt she's competing at a high level training at a high level and uh since the last time they fought which one's improved Miranda maverick was young the last time they fought she's just a kid now she's starting to fill into herself and become a legitimate contender i don't know that i would say her versus macy Barber was the worst decision i've ever seen but uh, a terrible decision all the same. She should have been up 2-0 going into that third. And even in the third, you know, fought valiantly until the end. Should have won the decision. Just didn't. That win would have been crucial for her and fans giving her a little more recognition. But she needs a finish. Winning over Shayna Young in the rematch that nobody asked for in a fight that the UFC rebooked after Shana Young botched weight cut and pulled out of the fight. Yeah, you got to go out there and win a statement. 6-1 to one favorite. Spot where you've already beat this girl in 90 seconds before. Fight that nobody wants to see you need to put up the pressure and do something. So inside the distance seems like the likely play there from random Maverick.
0: I like it. Glad we're on the same page there. All right, let's just keep it rolling, Cody. Next up, we got the prelim headliner here. This fight taking place in the men's featherweight division, and we're going to be talking about Derek Minner going up against Shaylan Nurdinbeka. In terms of odds, we got minus 200 on the Chinese fighter and plus 170 to return on Derek Minner. Very easy fight to break down, right, Cody? Like, we know what we're getting from Derek Minner. Look at that 89% finish rate on his record. Out of his 39 fights, uh, 26 wins, 22 are coming via submission, one of them coming via KO. But even when he loses... More often now he's getting finished, right? Like outside of the Ryan Hall fight, outside of the Charles Rosa fight, this guy gets finished too. Like it's it's often that we see him fall off after that round, round and a half or so. Shyylan Nerd him back a 47 fights, 73 finish rate. Uh, you know, 17 KOs, 10 submissions. Very good look on his record. But like we see when he's fighting these regional guys, half of who we've never even heard of, it's easy to finish those guys, but as we see with him coming to the UFC, it's getting harder and harder to finish these guys, right? The 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 Sean Soriano's, the the TJ Browns, like you don't see him finishing those guys because they're actually putting up a fight. Derek Minner, I don't know whether his his cardio has gotten better or if he's just gotten a little bit more disciplined in terms of not going balls to the wall early in his matchups. But we are seeing him go the full 50 minutes against some of his opponents. Uh, here against Shailan, uh, I think Shy will maybe have a slight striking advantage. I don't know if I'm off my rocker by saying something like that because a lot of his strikes come with just insane power. He likes to impose a a grapple-heavy approach as well. Likes just using that big frame of his, that wide frame of his, to latch onto his opponents, push them up against the cage, drag them to the ground. Not bad. But, uh, you know, I I feel like this could be a Shailan just grind fest. I think that we'll see him just grind up on Derek the majority of this fight. Likely win this fight by decision. But the prop that kind of sticks out to me the most is the uh Minner rub uh sound. Ugh, wow. I'm gonna get my words all jumbled up here. Minner round one sub. That seems to be the majority of his win equity whenever he fights. I'm seeing plus 950 on one book. And then I'm seeing plus 500 on bet online. So th- that is likely Derek Minner's win, uh, win condition here where I can see it coming into play is in case there is a desperate takedown from the Shailan nerd and Becca side, we know Derek Minner is more than happy to jump onto that guillotine. If you even show a peak of that neck, he did it to our guy, TJ Laramie. He's done it to numerous opponents in the past. It's always a live uh, opportunity for him to win whenever he can latch onto that neck. That's possible in this matchup, but I think that was the Shailan played a little bit safe early drag this into deeper rounds, and then from there he can continue to grind on him and grind him out over those 15 minutes, get his hand raised. Minus 200, not liking that price tag. That's why we get the props in play here. Um, Nerd and Becca by decision currently sitting at plus 215. Still not juicy enough for me, though, but that's kind of how I see this matchup going. Uh, what about yourself? you think Minner gets that sub again, adds it to a 23 of 27 wins coming via sub, or do you think Shailan grinds it out as well?
1: Yeah, not only does he have 22 submission wins, 21 of them are in the first round, right? So yeah, yeah, he's a first round submission guy. He's taking out cans in the first round. He's taking out formidable opponents in the first round. Derek Minner is a first round submission threat. Bad cardio, bad striking, mediocre wrestling at best, uh, but a first round threat. If you get him outside of that, he's in trouble. So this is a good live betting opportunity. Minner probably wins the first round, puts it on him. I'm banking on he finishes in the first round. But for whatever reason, he didn't. I think I'd uh, jump out the other side and be like, you know what? He's going to start to tire. And, of course, once he tires, uh, Shylin Nurmbiaki is going to start taking over and, and, and probably win this fight. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Minner in the first round here. Looking at the lines, right, it's like, okay, I want Minner by submission, at least on this book that I use, plus 275. Nah, I feel like I want better than that. Minner by first round finish, plus 300. I still want better than that. Minner by first round submission, plus 550. That is, that's where you head with it, I think. He's not knocking out anybody in the first round. He has almost no wins by knockout. He's not very little is he going to catch you in the second round and almost certainly not going to finish you in the third round. He's live for that first round submission. That's why he's got 21 of them. Again, when you look at his record, it's like, Well, who have I actually heard of? It's like, uh, well, Chuka Willis is already subbed him in the first round. Oh, wow, he's not a UFC veteran. Okay, well, Joey Muniz, Well, he's not yet. Clay Collard, subbed him in 31 seconds. Terrence McKinney, everybody's darling, subbed him in 57 seconds. TJ Laramie, subbed him in 52 seconds. Yeah, man, if he gets a hold of that neck, you have a serious problem on your hands. Now, here's my thing with Shailen Nirmayake. The UFC wants this guy to be good because they want a good Chinese standout prospect. He's 28 years old, and yet he has... 47 professional fights on his record like what the That's- fuck man i know but then you look at it and it's like bro he fights absolute trash guys yeah. and beats a lot of trash guys now here's what's worrisome to me right it's because he's got a pile of these losses it's like oh second round von flu choke oh we got von flu oh first round submission loss to a five and four guy oh first round rear naked choke loss to this macelle silva First round armbar loss to Brian Tedow Brian Tedow was 0-1 at the time of that fight. He was 14-3, Cheyenne, taking on a guy that was 0-1 and, and he got submitted in the first round with an armbar. Interesting. His wins, low level. His losses to low level guys and almost every time, dude, he's getting submitted. He's got tons of submission losses. So I'm sure he's made improvements overall to his game. He's still young. But dig this, right? He comes in the UFC off for a win over a guy that was seven and ten, super low level. But now you got to make that jump up. That jump up, not good. He couldn't take Josh Kulabau down. He got outstruck. He loses. Fair. Sean Soriano. The Sean Soriano fights frustrating because he got outstruck 35 to 17 by Sean Soriano. Okay. He got taken down twice by Sean Soriano. Perhaps one of the worst wrestlers and grapples in the division. He got taken down twice. Not only that, look at Sean Soriano's career losses. Dude, almost every single one of them by submission. The guy cannot grapple. His losses include, I guess he's got a couple decisions, but Christos Diago submits him. Bruce Boyington submits him. Levon McAfeely submits him. Charles Rosa submits him. Tatsuya Kawajiri submits him. Everybody submits him. And yet you see with Shylin Numbiaki, when he's on top, he, he's got no offensive grappling. He's a poor grappler, is all I'm getting at. The vast majority of his losses. By submission, a lot of them to lower-level guys. His wins, lower-level guys. He hasn't had time to properly develop. His fights in the UFC, Josh Koulibau's fairly low-level. He got beat up in that fight. Couldn't get his wrestling going. Sean Soriano took him down twice. Problematic. He got struck by Sean Soriano. He landed 17 significant strikes through 15 minutes. Low volume. All of this is problematic. And then his last time out with TJ Brown, TJ Brown snatched him up in a couple decent submission attempts. Couldn't finish. But they were there. They were there for the taking. And Minner at plus five fifty on a first round submission. Did I mention he's already done it twenty one times in his career? This is what he does. And I feel like Shylin is one of these guys that's gonna give him the opportunity to potentially cap one off. If he doesn't pull the shoot, live back to the other side, get out of it. But I think he's live in that first round to get a submission. So I did take the Minner first round submission prop.
0: I don't hate it. I really don't hate that. Again, when he cashes on it twenty-two times or twenty-one times, round one submission specifically, the guy, you know, uh, especially with somebody that he might be uh, desperate uh, with takedowns here from the Shaolin side. So, uh, yeah, I don't hate it at all, especially at that price tag. All right, let's get to the main card. But first, let's quickly hear a, a word from one of our main sponsors, the All Stars app. There you guys go. The All-Stars app. Make sure you guys check it out. They have a ton of great things. Make sure you guys check it out. Link in the description below. Available for Androids, Apples, uh, freaking Blackberries, whatever the hell you guys want. You guys can download it on there and enjoy everything that they have. All right. First fight on the main card, Cody. This one I'm very much excited about and curious to hear your thoughts on this matchup. We got Grant Dawson coming in as a minus 215 underdog. Or sorry, a favorite. Uh, plus 185 the return on the Olympian mark. Oh, Madsen, uh, this is a, you know, a do or die fight for Mark Madsen, in a sense, right? He's 38 years old. He's 10 years the elder of Grant Dawson in this spot. But he said it, man. He has to really go out there and put statements on and, and really make, oh, did we just lose Cody? I think we just lost Cody. We just lost Cody. That was weird. But he's going to be back in a couple of seconds. I know for sure. But uh, what Mark Madsen, he needs to get it going right now, right? If he loses this fight, that's likely the last road uh, or speed bump that he can take because at 38 years old fighting at this division this lightweight division it's going to be hard to build up that steam again to try to get people to talk about you to try to get people to you know want to see you in the cage and fight that top 10 that's the that's the big question mark here Um, I like his style good wrestling he's developing his striking obviously with those guys over there at fight ready MMA they've done a phenomenal job with them thus far hopefully they can keep it going. Uh, He showed off some good things in the Vince Pichel fight where he was uh, able to utilize his striking in that first round until he landed that takedown to grind out the rest of that round. I believe he dropped that second round, but in the third round, it seemed like he was just biding his time, waiting for that proper opportunity to jump in on that double leg. Once he got that double leg from there, he was able to grind out Vince Michel for the remainder of that round and pick up a victory there. So good cardio and gas tank uh, um, portioning from him there. That that was a very good look from him, uh, showing how he's developing and maturing as an MMA fighter. But going up against more complete fighters now, like a Grand Dawson, and we got my guy Cody back as well, Um, going up against a guy like Grand Dawson, I think he's going to run into some troubles, right? Grand Dawson, great grappler in his own right, 10 years, the younger fighter here, just just as athletic, if not more, Um, his striking is developing as well. And he's a guy that I used to think would struggle with the cardio and gas tank issues of himself, right? Obviously, everybody remembers that Ricky Glenn, third round where Ricky almost got him out of there and he was able to get a 10-8 and ultimately make that fight a draw. After that fight, he goes, peace, James, I'm going to ATT. I'm going to go to American Top Team, try to get some better looks with better training partners, more training partners, and probably a... Better planned out coaching staff as well compared to just James and whoever else they have usually acquiring these guys. I thought that was a solid move for him to try to develop his career at 28 years old. This is the time to do it, um, and I think that this is a good matchup for him to for him to showcase that that uh, that potential that we see in him. I think he's the better pure jujitsu jitsu player here as well. So should they get tangled up on the ground, I don't think he'll have too much issues there. And I do think that should he get taken down by a guy like Mark Madsen, he's just not going to lay on his back, similar to what Vince Pichelle did in the last fight. I think he'll work to get back to his feet and try to put that pressure back on Mark Madsen. Uh, I was very impressed by the fact that Grant Dawson was able to submit and finish Jared Gordon in his last fight. Jared Gordon was the guy that was supposed to have the cardio advantage. Jared Gordon was the guy that was supposed to put the pressure on him make him move backwards, make him gas out and then either finish him or really start to run away with it in that third round. But Grand Dawson showed up and he showed out. Eventually getting that submission with a minute left in that fight. Great performance from him there. I'm expecting him to do something similar here against Mark Madsen. Put on a bit of a pace early here, mix in the grappling, get them both huffing and puffing a little bit. But I think the deeper that this goes, the deeper of waters that it gets into, I think we'll see Grand Dawson be, the, be able to be the one that that swims better, that, that can get to those positions a little bit quicker and establish a, a more dominant game plan the later that this fight goes. So in terms of a prop, I'm going to lean decision here. I do think that Grand Dawson wins the majority of these positions. I don't think that we see him overextend himself in terms of putting himself into trouble. Uh, Dawson by decision plus 140. Again, I could potentially see a, a late finish for him as well. Round three, uh, Dawson currently sits around plus 1100. So maybe if you have access to one of those books that give you round three slashes, that might be a better way to go about it. But I do think he wins this fight. I think he wins it late either by uh, finish or... Or decision. Cody, I'll pass this one on to you with a quick question uh, with our uh, CloudBet props. Shout out to CloudBet, obviously, sponsoring the show as always. Um, Most takedowns, Mark Madsen minus 150 or Grant Dawson at plus 130, and then go into your breakdown as well.
1: Yeah, I got to go with Mark Matson. I mean, he's an Olympic silver medalist, a guy that competed at the Worlds, silver medalist at the Worlds as well. And, like, yeah, it's a lot of silver and not necessarily gold. Like, his Greco Roman style, his athleticism, he's a pretty solid grappler all around. I feel like takedowns, but it should be all, uh, similar to the Austin Hubbard fight. He'll get a lot of takedowns, but not necessarily be able to have that jiu jitsu top control to hold Grant Dawson down. So, yeah, he'll get more takedowns than Dawson but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to cleanly out grapple him so who gets the more takedowns at minus 150 I'm going to have to go uh with the Mark Madsen side but I agree with a lot with what you're saying Dawson I don't think he was going to realize his potential he's young he's talented you said he's as good of an athlete as Mark Madsen I don't believe that's the case his wrestling not nearly as good as Mark Madsen's as well but he's definitely a better prospect you know but looking again at the numbers and looking back at some of those past results it's it's low output man I mean he's had a lot of fights that one but he's always a giant favorite in all of these spots and it's like okay his fight with his fight with uh, Julian Arosa he outstruck him by eight significant strikes even though he got six takedowns so got the takedowns beats him by decision but didn't do a whole lot with it his fight with Mike Trezano he outstruck him 27 to 20 Uh, second round submission didn't do much with it, I didn't think. Got the submission, the Derek Minner fight, and this is why you want Minner by first round submission. Holy shit, dude! Dawson's lucky he didn't get subbed in the first round by Derek Minner. Minner was all over that neck and it was deep, but he survived. Not a great performance, but he survived. Nad Naramani, low output, survives. Oh, doesn't survive, beat him pretty cleanly, I guess. But we'll just go by the recent ones. Him versus Leo Santos. James Krause is yelling at him going into the third. They're like, man, you're giving this fight up. You're not doing anything. He's not big on his wrestling in that fight. He's not big on his output. He looks lethargic. He does knock him out with one second left on the clock. But it's not a great performance from him. You could kind of see that something was up. And then for him to lose the Ricky Glenn fight. First round, he looked like a million dollars. Second round, he starts to fatigue big time. Third round, he's gassed. And I don't think we've ever seen that from him. He's a guy that is a cardio machine. He's a guy that is in good shape. He's a guy that can push the pressure. So him leaving Kansas, going to ATT, and then showing up in the Jared go- the Gordon fight definitely means a lot for sure. Um, but just because he got seven takedowns over Jared Gordon doesn't mean he's going to go take down you know, an, an Olympic athlete, an Olympic medalist for that matter, seven times and destroy him. I think more so than that even striking he doesn't got the volume if he doesn't get takedowns how's he going to beat mark madison just by being younger and wanting it more like i don't know i think he wins it's just i'm scratching my head and saying what's the easiest path to victory because taking him down that's going to be a task strike out striking him standing yeah you should be able to but you're not really a guy that uses a whole lot of striking so i think it's probably going to be greasier than it needs to be the route I went, and this is a route I went on a lot of these fights on these card, because I know you love violence. I just it doesn't look like a violent card to me. No. So I think these fights are going to decision, man. And I think at minus one eighty-five fight goes to decision. Not great, but maybe if you were going to take Grant Dawson, I would take the Dawson by decision at plus one ten. I don't think his submission game is advanced enough to catch Mark Madsen. I don't think his striking game is good enough to knock out Mark Madsen. And the Madsen side of things, he's been working on his cardio, he's been working on his striking, he's been working on everything good enough. Two I think probably survive. So I'm gonna go Dawson by decision plus one ten. The better play overall, just the fight goes the distance at minus one eighty five and uh and and hope the right man wins. If Dawson was still in Kansas, I pull the trigger the other way and I go Mark Madsen. Wow. But him being in Florida, I think he's young, he's talented, he's in a better room, he doesn't have his head coach fucking betting on him. And you're probably gonna be in a better mental space, I would say.
0: Uh, shout out to my guy Danny Legs here saying uh, Dawson round three slash decision is currently sitting at plus one ten, so not a bad approach. That's
1: that, that's good because again, my book's giving me shit there. They're just giving me just the decision plus one ten, but that throws in the option of maybe he does sub him in the third. And again, he subbed Jared Gordon in the third. I I, I had that one by decision too, and I was so close. I was so I close. Know. One but minute. Kid's clearly getting better. I mean, yeah. Jared Gordon's a John her BJJ Brown Bell, who has solid submission defense lackluster chin but solid submission defense and you know he really did work him over and put him in some bad spots Joe Selecki had fought Jared Gordon taking his back for like six minutes couldn't do shit with it and you see Grant Dawson making those improvements so he's done the right thing by putting himself in South Florida with best coaches best training partners putting himself in the best position to excel in this sport um but I'm still I'm still gonna take the coward's way out and think that decision but again if you can get a decision and a third round prop both in it at plus 110 I like that
0: Let's go. All right, let's keep it rolling here. Next up, we're going to be talking about a flyweight belt between Ulin Bekov, who's coming in at minus 215, and Nate has coming in at plus 185. A uh, fun flyweight fight here. Obviously, the first fight that Nate Maness is taking down at flyweight, so he'll be one of those guys that we keep our eyes on tomorrow morning at the weigh-ins. Um, but if he thinks he can do it, this is a tough matchup to go up against in your first fight down at flyweight because you're going to be working. You want to make sure you have all your fluids back in your body, you know, all your facilities back about you because Tagir Ulenbekov will push you to your breaking point pretty much, right? Nate Maness. We've seen him in prior fights, you know, deal with grapple heavy takedown approaches in the past, you know, do a good enough job in terms of staying on his feet or getting back to his feet and then unloading his big power punches on the feet. Uh, that's how he was able to dispatch of uh, of a couple of guys. Obviously, he beat Johnny Munoz Jr. over the, the 15 minute mark. Very close fight, right? Uh, That's the way he knocked out Tony Gravely, the way that he did halfway through that second round. That's how he knocked out Luke Sanders, the way that he did as well. But Umar and Amar that guy was a little bit too much for him, right? And you would expect Tagir Ulenbekov to present the same type of issues. But the only difference is I think that Umar is much better than Tagir Ulenbekov. Like Ulenbekov, we saw him obviously falter his last time around against Timothy Elliott. Very close fight, back and forth fight. Timothy was in it for all the scrambles, um, You know, that upset a lot of people as a lot of people thought that Dagestani wrestling would be more than enough for a a wild man like uh, Tim Elliott, but Tim Elliott grinds that one out. Even the fight before that against Alain Nascimento, very close fight, split decision win for Tagir. but that just showcases that his control is not like his his fellow teammates, right? Like he struggles a little bit to hold these guys to the mat. And Nate Maness, that's a guy that I know is likely going to be working his way to get back to his feet every single time. He's not going to allow back off to uh, rest from on top. He's going to have to work his ass off to to keep him on the mat. Umar of much better control than uh, Tagir, and I wholeheartedly believe that, which is why I can't really get around to betting Tagir right now at that minus 215 range. I might look like a dumbass come Saturday night and Tagir just controls him for 14 out of 15 minutes of that round, but I want to see it first before I continue to you know trust this guy at that at those chalk odds. Now, I still pick him to win. I still think he ends up getting his hand raised, uh, so Ulum back off by decision, currently sitting around minus 105. Probably the better way to play him here, um, but even on the Nate Maness side, man, if you think that he can keep this fight upright, there's a good chance that he could probably find that knockout, which currently sits at plus 600. I just can't get to it myself. I'm gonna be staying away. I will likely just watch this from afar. Uh, I will still pick Ulambekov and Ulambekov by decision. Uh, but I want this is a sit back and watch for me. Spot. How does Nate look at flyweight? How does Tegir Look, finding a guy like Nate who is constantly working, has big power in his hands, and will likely make it a very rough time for him as well. Show me those things first, then I'll be willing to part ways with my money. But in terms of an official bet here, Ulenbekov, via decision, minus 105. Cody, you know we got a special cloud bet prop for this one. Uh, mo uh, t- Total takedowns from Takira Ulenbekov. You're getting even money on either side, over 2.5 or under 2.5. And, and then ultimately, let me know, what are you thinking here for your prediction? For the over two and a half, the under two and a half? Over two and a half for takedowns, total takedowns from Tagir.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say the over. Tagir will get takedowns again. It's whether or not he's able to hold him down. So with Nate Maness, yeah, he'll give give up a couple. I just feel like his ability to get back up will allow him to get taken down a few more times and then in such hit that over number. So same thing with the Mark Madsen fight in the last time out. If they had given you a prop there, it's like, will Madsen hit a certain amount of takedowns? It's like, Yeah, I think he will take Grant Dawson down. And of course they had the, will he have more takedowns at minus 150, which I said I would take as well. But uh, quick takedowns. They look good. Oh, six, seven, eight takedowns. Not doing anything with them. Doesn't matter. It's obsolete. In this case, that's what I would think. Uh, With Tim gear Ulanbekov, I'm a big fan of his. I always bet on him. He's my guy. Russian wrestler. How could you not like it? He's got the Khabib factor. You know, we we, we love it. But again, just because he's Khabib's buddy and childhood friend doesn't mean he is Khabib. And that's the thing that we got to realize at the end of the day. He's just he's not right. So same way, he's been doing interviews all this week, being like, "Oh, we got the blueprint. We got the blueprint." Just do the same thing Umar did. It's like, dude, did Tom Brady back do it? Be like, bro, I'm just to flick it the way Tom does. It's like, yeah, but can you yeah. flick it the way Tom does? You know, Michael Jordan had a backup, Bill Wilmington. Does anybody remember him? No, no. Because no. no. it wasn't as if he was like, wow, well, MJ it just does one of these, you know? now, nah. nah. Different person, Ulam has got that Rush, Russian feistiness. Dagestani, I love the style, I love the breed, I love all of them. That's where I put my money. But there's no doubt that he hasn't necessarily looked particularly all that good so far in the UFC. Makes his debut against Bruno Silva. They give him, I don't know, it's a layup in the terms of Bruno Silva is winless in the UFC. Um, proven to actually be a tough out. Where is he, by the way? Like, why isn't he fighting? Guy's, guy's pretty tough. I'm not but, sure.
0: He's strong. Uh, and he's not winless. He's, he's gotten a couple of dubs now. He yeah. was
1: winless at the time. Oh, uh, at right? the time. Yeah. Yes, was, like, at, at the time, he had lost to Khalid Toffa, who choked him out. He had lost to David Dvorak, who had beat yeah. him upstanding. He lost to Gear. He's 0 3. Then he upset JP Buys, which it should have been an upset. JP Buys is terrible. And then he beats Victor Rodriguez, which I really can't say much about Rodriguez, but that was a little oh. over a year ago. So you go 0 3 in the UFC and then went back to back fights and then just haven't seen him since. So. Not to talk too much about him. I know we got to get out of here in 20 minutes. But with Tagir, it's like that was his first fight. It was supposed to be his layup. Introduce him to the market. I bet a whole lot of money on him. And trust me, going to decision, I did not feel good. He got outstruck 47-46. He got taken down four times. Where was that badass Russian wrestling? Has anybody taken Khabib down? Has anybody ever taken Khabib down four times? (laughs) Has anybody ever taken Umar Nurmagomedov down four times? Has anyone ever taken an Uzman Nurmagomedov four times? No, no. These guys are not getting taken down. He did. And when he got offensive takedowns, he didn't do shit with them, dude. They were just Bruno scrambled right back up and then outstruck him. So prob- problematic, but he won, so I wasn't concerned. The Alan Nascimento fight. The Alan Nascimento fight is a split decision. It's great as hell. He gets outstruck 25 to 18. And Nascimento threw up a ton of good submission attempts, man. So even though he got his takedowns and he ended up on top, he's not comfortable at no point, and he almost lost that fight. No volume, no pace. No real X factor to him. Almost loses, but I'm unconcerned because what do I care? I won. Then Paul tried to straight up warn me. He's like, dude, Tim Elliott's gonna do something in this fight. What do you mean Tim Elliott's gonna do something in this fight? Tim Elliott is in greasy fights that he should lose, but he ends up winning. And Tagir is in a lot of these fights that he should win, but they're dude, they're way too greasy. And like I honestly thought that Tagir won the fight against Tim Elliott. But you see a whole lot of issues. You know, Tim drops him. He hurts him. Tim takes him down twice. Tim walks him down. Tagir doesn't have big power on his punches. So he can touch and go, touch and go. But if you get that one big shot in, that's what the judges are going to remember. And these are all issues because Naaman S has got a lot of power, a lot of his wins coming by knockout. Uh, Again, the Gravely fight, he takes a ton of damage in the first, stays with it, and then knocks out Gravely in the second. He's got power in his hands. He's a strong physical guy. We talked earlier about the Johnny Munoz fight. He goes uh, two for 16 on takedowns. Maness held up, right? He's fought in good wrestlers, and he's held up. Now going down to 125, if he has a bad... Probably in trouble here. Probably in trouble. If he shows up in good shape makes the weight, rehydrates well, feeling good about himself. He's going to be strong and physical with good hips. is going to struggle to take him down. When he does take him down, he's going to struggle to hold him down. And when they're up standing at that range, is going to have opportunities to land those shots and get it in. So I hate betting against Tagir. I hate betting against any Dagestani fighter who I'm behind firmly, and I like that style. So part of me doesn't want to bet against him, but part of me thinks underdog money, writing on the wall, Everybody likes the, the big Russian wrestling prospect. We get it, but there are levels to it, and maybe Tagir isn't as good as I perhaps once thought. So in terms of a straight prop for the fight, again, I would think it's going to decision. Tagir's shown no inclination to get getting finished. I mean, he's you know he got dropped, but his chin's okay, and I think his uh, submission defense is okay. His cardio's okay. I think he's going to be all right. I think he should be able to last a decision. And for Nate, Nate's more of the finisher on the side of things. But as you saw in his last timeout, if it is a grappling-heavy fight, maybe he doesn't have a chance to get off those those big shots, so to speak. So looking at the fight goes the distance. Uh, it's sitting at minus one ninety. It does seem a little bit big, but I'm almost tempted to take that Nate Maness by decision. At plus 300, and that he's going to pull the upset. Haven't still decided if I'm going to pull the trigger on Nate S quite yet. Really want to see the weigh-ins on Friday to get like a, a better judge of how it might go down. But to me, in some ways, it's almost like last week's Chase Hooper, Steve Garcia. <laughs> Steve Garcia was dropping down to 45. He had fought all of his fights in the UFC at 55 and looked middling, but he made the weight and he made the weight well, man. You look big, you look strong, and he decimated Chase Hooper. Nate could be in a similar situation. If he shows up and he makes 125 and he makes the weight well, this might be where he should have been all along. The fact that he signed up to fight back-to-back killer Russians, the guy's got a big old pair of cojones. He's got heart. He's got determination. He's fought a bunch of wrestlers before. He's in a spot for an upset. So don't rule Nate and out for that upset, but I think the smart way is just same thing I'm doing on all these fights. Fight goes the distance. There's going to be a whole lot of decisions going down.
0: Uh, And I think you're going to see one coming up with the next one as well, at least for what you think. So let's move on to that one. It is a heavyweight belt. It is in that prime spot as well. There's always that... Third last fight on that fight night card where we get these sloppy heavyweights taken center stage, whether it's the Parker Porters, the Jake Colliers, the Roki Martinezes, but this weekend it's the Josh Parisian against Chase Sherman. So it was a pick up pick em line pretty much all week, but Chase Sherman has actually been taking a couple uh, a little bit of action over the last couple of days. He's now up to minus one thirty, plus one ten to return on Josh Parisian. Very tough and difficult fight to really pick a, a side that to have. Um, super conviction on but i do lean uh the chase him inside myself i think he is the better tech- technical striker here i think he's the one that's going to be commanding most of the respect in the cage here moving forward landing the big shots and kind of just chipping away at josh josh will likely be looking for takedowns here because i think that's where he'll be able to do his best work that's where the hold up for me comes right like how active are we going to see chase in terms of getting back to his uh, feet because we've some t- seen some times where he's just Content with just laying on his back and doesn't want to exert the energy to get back to his feet. That's where my concern comes for this matchup. It's just what kind of Chase Sherman are we getting? Are we getting one that's collecting a paycheck? Uh getting one that knows that his job is probably safe because he beat uh his last opponent, finished him late in that fight. Or is he actually going to be able to go out there and try to string a couple wins together now? Is he going to go out there and try to finish Josh and make a statement? very hard to to come to a conclusion on that. What I ended up Actually, on is the uh Sherman by KO. Sherman by KO sitting at plus 165. I wish it was a better number, but I think those strikes are going to add up on Josh Parisian. And I think Parisian will eventually fall to it. And we'll see uh we'll see Chase Sherman get his hand raised here. Uh Josh Parisian always a like big favorite earlier in his UFC career, but now that he's been exchanging wins and losses over his last four fights, I think people are starting to recognize that okay, maybe this guy is not the the you know the the greatest or or not what we thought he was he's been finished a couple times right like way back in the day to tony lopez shout out to the veteran uh probably had 100 fights now but tony lopez finishes him with punches in round two you know he even uh loses on the uh on the contenders or sorry the the ultimate fighter to michelle bautista uh, i believe that was like a, a ground and pound situation uh spot there brett martin is this guy. like He can be finished, and I think if Chase actually shows up to fight here, he can put those big punches on him, put that big power on him, put him down, put him out, and get his hand raised in the spot. So give me Sherman. Sherman by knockout. Cody, what do you think of mine?
1: Yeah, listen, I, I could see it happening simply because Parisian's got a limited gas tank, takes a whole lot of shots, and if Sherman shows up in shape, then he probably puts the beating on him. But I went with the Sherman by decision plus 350 for no other reason than it's another one of these big heavyweight props at, at, at plus money. When you think about heavyweights, you think, man, these are the big boys, 265 pounds. You know, they're all six foot three, six foot four. They all, they They're all big, heavy power punches. Any punch can finish the fight. That's why people like heavyweights. And they don't care for flyweights. Not me personally. I mean, the general opinion. Because flyweights, oh, wow. You know, the guy hit him with a head kick and the other guy just took it and kept going. It's like, wasn't that badass? Don't you want to see these cool stuff like that? It's like, no. Honestly, Tank Abbott. Chuck a bomb from the hip side and KO a guy. That's what I'm looking to see. That's what they want. Again, last week, when you look at Waldo uh, uh, Cortez Acosta, it's like, (laughs) this guy's a big heavyweight. You know, he's got some pro boxing experience. He's taking on Jared Vandera, who's a bum. But what do you know about Jared Vandera? Well, he's tough. He can take a punch, if anything. You know, he's got a decent enough chin. And what do you know about Waldo Cortez Acosta? Yeah, he's not a biggest power puncher. He's more of a volume guy. He's much more of a touch and go guy. So they you know you want to bet him over Jared Vander, because you want no part Jared Vander. And you can juice up that to a plus four seventy-five by decision. It's worth the shot. When I look at Chase Sherman, I think the same thing. Here's a guy that could finish, guys, no doubt. But for a big old heavyweight that weighs 253 pounds, he's six foot four. A lot of these fights of his go to decision. If he was such a big knockout guy, how come he went to decision with Andre Orlovsky? How come he went 15 minutes with Parker Porter? How come, you know, just a lot of these fights, even even his original run in the UFC, goes the distance with Justin Willis. He goes the distance with Damian Grabowski. He goes the distance with Justin Ledet. <clears throat> I don't think he's one of these killer heavyweights with that big power. If anything, he's going to hit you 140 times and topple you over. And that is what he did his last time against Jared Vandera. The first two rounds are insane. They're slinging bombs. Anybody can get knocked out, but you're not seeing that pure power out of him. Late in the third The accumulation finally sets, and he does put Jared Vandera over. But I'm hoping Josh Parisian can just survive to that end bell because I think he's outgunned here massively. Sherman's still making improvements. He's still young as a heavyweight. He's a lot more mobile. He's longer. He's got the striking. Uh, Takedown defense has always been an issue, but you can tell in his game that he's been working on it. Two fights back with Alexander Romanov. He got taken down three times. Only reason that I'm saying that because it's impressive is he got up the first two times, man. His hips didn't look too bad at all. It was that smothering continuous game of Romanov eventually does break him down and he does get submitted in the first round. I get it, but you can see that it looked like he would have been working on his wrestling since the Jake Collier fight, uh, adding that wrinkle to his game. He's got the kick advantage over his opponent, Josh Parisian. He's got the length. He's just probably got the striking and enough takedown defense to keep the fight standing and back away. But for Josh Parisian, again, he can not take a punch and he likes to fight in close quarters and pursue takedowns. So maybe there's going to be a lot of clinch work up against the cage. All stuff that leads to the fight is going to start to get into the second round, start to get into the third round. Sherman will land some good shots. Parisian will take those good shots and then hopefully go from there. Uh, I wouldn't rule out a, a Chase Sherman knockout, especially if you can get one of those double take uh, props where it's like Sherman by third round TKO or by decision. It does cover you a little bit more. Um, but it just really, to me, comes down to what shape Parisian's in. Cause he almost went the distance with Dante Mays, but he was so gassed out that it, like his cardio quit on him. And then the very next fight against Alan Bodo, he got outstruck in the first round and got beat up by Bodo. But when Bodo tired, you saw Parisian was still with it. If his cardio is good enough to last three rounds, his chin's good enough to last three rounds is if he gets dead dog tired and just stands there, the ref's going to say enough of this because of course the guy At times, gets very tired, so I'm I'm starting to talk myself out of a Chase Sherman by decision because I'm thinking now, yeah, you know what, he probably does knock him out, but the plus three fifty, the plus three fifty really is a pretty good price tag as far as I'm concerned. So, ever so tentatively, I am going to keep that locked in.
0: Uh just in case you are wondering round three slash decision for Chase Sherman sitting at plus two sixty. So well uh, that's even
1: better than a plus three fifty on a straight up decision. Cause (laughs) yeah, dude, if Parisian gets knocked out, what I will say is it's not happening in the first, but yeah, late second into the third, it's live. It's live to happen, sure.
0: And uh, something that we quickly talked about a little bit earlier in terms of where the hell has Bruno Silva been, as he hasn't fought since May of last year. Uh, quick word from his coach: apparently, he had ankle surgery uh, about nine months ago, and it just won't heal properly. So he's just been sitting on the sidelines waiting to get that uh, to get that checked out. So we'll be interested to see when he gets back.
1: Thank you for looking into it. Do me one favor on your own free time: is yep. what the hell going on with Yargas Danho? He comes off a five-year-long. And knocks Jorgen de Castro the fuck out, and then you haven't seen him since. It's like, what's going on, bro? Maybe he's messed up what
0: you (laughs) saw. He knocked
1: a dude out in three minutes. Yeah, they didn't just rebook him back. They didn't just say want to fight next month like crazy. Anyways, uh, there's certain guys out there. It's like they come into your life and they leave just as fast.
0: We'll see if Yar just makes his return. I don't know if I have any connections to those guys, but I'll see what I can do. All right, let's get to the co-main event because this one is an exciting one in my opinion. It takes place in the welterweight division. We got ultra-veteran, Neil Magny coming in as a minus 120 favorite. He's going up against D-Rod. Daniel Rodriguez who's coming in at plus 100. This is also one of those fights that has kind of been back and forth in terms of the, the betting odds, right? Like it's been up and down. We saw Daniel Rodriguez at minus 120. Then the buyback coming in on Neil Magny to push him to minus 120. So now it seems closer to the end of the week. The money is starting to come in on the Neil Magny side. And I understand why, man. Neil Magny is one of those guys that, you know what you're going to get every time he steps into the cage, right? You know you're going to get pressure. You know you're going to get pace. You know you're going to get output. You know you're going to get uh, insane cardio. That's something he's always known for. And now you're matching him up against a stylistically solid opponent, right? Like what I mean by that is he's not fighting a grappler. Because if you're a grappler, you're going to get Neil Magni to the ground. You're going to be able to smit him. You're going to get him out of there, right? The Shafgat Rakmanovs, the Michael Chiesas, the dos Dosanioses. Like those guys are going to get him out of there. That There's no doubt about that. Or he's not fighting a significantly superior striker either in Daniel Rodriguez. Cause there have been guys that are way better than him striking and have been able to pick him apart and get him out of there. Santiago Ponzinibbio chipped away at his leg for three and a half rounds, four rounds, and eventually knocked him out with a big punch. Good win for Ponzinibbio there. And then way back at UFC 202, Lorenz Larkin ends Neil Magny's night with a beautiful elbow in the clinch and uh, it gets him out of there. But like, D-Rod finds himself in the middle there. Like he finds himself amongst amongst the the Lee Jing Leongs of the world. The the, in my opinion, the Max Griffins of the world, right? Like he's a good fighter. He's a good technical striker, but that's where it where it kind of stops. He has a great record. Don't get me wrong. He's 17 and two. That's a phenomenal record. But like, He's not... Like like the one against Lee Jing Leung. Did we really think he won that fight? I thought he lost. I had money on Lee Jing Leung, so maybe there was a little bit of bias there, but I thought that Lee deserved to get his hand raised that night. Uh, Nicholas Dalby. You know I mean? A guy who's not willing to go in there and exchange in the pocket like the Gabe Greens of the world, like the Mike Perrys of the world. They're giving... Daniel Rodriguez, the fight that he needs, not Nicholas Dalby. Say what you want about the decision, but the fact that he's keeping that fight on the outside, using his kicks and staying at range, that made it difficult for D Route to really get into much of a groove. Neil Magny, similar style. The guy's going to move around a lot, throw a big output from the outside, get you into the clinch, rough you up in the clinch a little bit, get you back out into distance, throw more strikes, keep you on your heels keep you thinking essentially and i think that's where d rod is going to run into some trouble here and it's not like d rod is this rising prospect yes in terms of the fact that in the ufc i think he has a seven and one record or something like that or a six and one record but he's 35 years old he's actually a year older than neil Magny because he's going to be turning 36 at the end of this year whereas neil Magny, i think he turns 36 sometime next year so he's older but obviously, Neil Magny likely has more fight miles on him, considering he has 20 more professional fights than him. But he still can go out there and showcase that solid style, that that Neil Magny reliable style. Sure, Max Griffin hurt him and dropped him. But what does that ultra veteran do? Gets right back into the game, wins the second and third round, and wins that decision. Say what you want about the split. I thought Neil wanted enough in that second and third round to win that fight. Daniel Rodriguez, not as fast nor as powerful, in my opinion, as Max Griffin. Max got to that punch really quick. I don't know if Daniel Rodriguez will be able to do the same thing. You can't call, as my guy Paul in the chat is saying here, Magni is done being the gatekeeper. He lost to Shavkat Rachmanoff. <laughs> Daniel Rodriguez is not Shavkat Rachmanoff. You know what I mean? He's going to have to go out there and try to do D-Rod things, but I think Magni's style will make it difficult for him to do that. So give me Magny. I took the shirt-up shot on him money line because it's already great. And the fact that his decision prop is currently sitting around plus 130, which is not all that far off from his money line, just showcases the way that he's likely going to win this fight. Decision. That's what Neil Magny does. That's how Neil Magny will get his hand raised here. And I think he is the rightful side of this weekend. So give me Magny. Magny by decision. Cody, what are you thinking here? I believe you are muted. And you're... Sorry. uh, My bad, my bad. Your your internet is like hanging on by strings it feels because sometimes it like glitches a little bit but the audio is always good. Audio is always good, video not so much. Thank God we're almost at the end of this though.
1: Yeah, well... Yeah, exactly. We'll get out of this one quickly and move on to bigger and better things. But I went D-Rod, D-Rod by decision. Honestly, uh, Neil Magny, yeah, I think he's done being the gatekeeper. I just don't know that he's as competitive as he used to be. Sure, they're both a little bit older, but Magny's got the real wear and tear beneath his belt. He's one of these guys that likes to use his own offensive wrestling to a great extent. Pretty much all of his notable wins it's when he gets that offensive wrestling going. But his chin's ever so slightly deteriorating. His striking, uh, not as effective. It's mostly a lot of jabs, like from the outside just a little touch-and-go pattern type stuff. I just feel like D-Rod's going to have the superior volume. He's going to back him up. Um, Yeah, Raf- Rachmanov blows right through. I'm sure Daniel Rodriguez is not a Rachmanov, But the fight prior with Max Griffin, he got dropped in the first round. He got hurt in the first round. He got outstruck um, by the numbers in the second, although I did score it for him. And then he won the third round. Sure, he deserves to win the fight against Max Griffin, but it was close. It was competitive. His fight with Jeff Neal, Jeff Neal doesn't let his hands go. A lot of these spots are like good matchups for him stylistically. The thing with Daniel Rodriguez is you're going to have to engage with him. And honestly, he throws a sickening amount of volume. He's got a whole career of it. On the contenders, he is against Rico Farrington, 108 landed. His fight with Gabe Green, 175. His fight with Mike Perry, 129. Preston Parsons, 45 landed in 3 minutes and 47 seconds. That's all it took him to knock him out. But uh, 45 significant strikes landed in, in 347. Crazy. His fight with Kevin Lee, 120. Even his last time out with Jing Liang Lee. Li. Sure, people thought he lost. That's their prerogative. They were cheering for Jing Liang Lee Li because he bought a nice suit, and he was giving up 10 pounds on a day's notice. It was badass. I thought Daniel Rodriguez won. He, landed, he outlanded him in the rounds. He landed the more volume. It was a close fight. It was a competitive fight. But I like what I see out of him. When you look at his UFC stats, he averages 7.75 significant strikes landed per minute, right? Which is unheard of, especially at this weight class. His last time out against Jing Liang Li, people also forget that he had taken the fight on like a week's notice against Kevin Holland up a weight class, right? And that's, it's not him at his best. Him at his best, he's strong, he's physical, he's got the volume. I don't think Neil Magny's going to take him down clean. I don't think Neil Magny's going to stand and trade with him for a, uh, for a prolonged period of time. I would say Magny's chin's good enough to take Rodriguez's shots, but then again, Rodriguez has got a lot of power in his hands, and, and you see the writing on the wall with Neil Magny that You know, going back to the Santiago Ponzanibio fight or the Lorenz Larkin fight or damn near Max Griffin. It's like if you apply the pressure on him, he's there to get hit and he doesn't necessarily react all that well when he does get hit. So he is live for the knockout, but I decided to go with the decision simply on the basis of takedown defense is going to check out, keep the fight standing, use the volume, batter him from the outside. Off you go. You can say what you want about Daniel Rodriguez, but the nicholas dolby fight is horse shit it's absolute horse shit how does he lose that fight how does he lose that fight to him when he outstruck him 83 to 50 okay the insignificant strikes numbers he landed him 105 to 58 and he outstruck him in every single round 31 to 17 in the first round that's a double up 17 9 in the second round that's a double up 35 to 24 oh shit that's dolby's best round 11 strikes difference and yet they gave it to Dolby. That's bullshit. He should be undefeated in the UFC. He should show wins over Nicholas Dolby. He shows a win over Mike Perry, which is nothing to sniff at. He shows a couple decent enough wins, and Neil Magny's not, oh, let's give him a top 10 guy or let's give him some young, hungry guy. It's like, let's give him a gatekeeper in the division see how he does against him. I think he's live in this spot. I think he's live for decision, and that's what I decided to go with.
0: I love that we're sticking our flag in the ground in this Coleman event slot. Cause I I always love that when we're when we're kind of convicted about these spots where we're opposite and I feel damn good about Neil. You feel damn good about D-Rod. We find out Saturday fucking night. I can't wait for that. All right. That brings us right to our main event of the evening. But shout out to the 100 live viewers that we currently have with us. Uh, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you follow Cody on Twitter as well, at CJ Saftik. You guys can follow myself at MMALOTN. Um, We're, you know... Trying to wrap it up a little bit quicker on the back end here because I have a hard out uh, at 7 o'clock. Got to be somewhere. But I'm uh, willing to chip away another couple minutes here just to talk about this main event. So let's get right into it. Main event here takes place in the women's strawweight division, Cody. We got minus 215 on Marina Rodriguez and plus 185 on Amanda Lemos. Very fun fight here between two Brazilian strikers who fight you know, uh, differently, right? Like Amanda Lemos, very power reliant. She likes to throw those big shots, try to knock her opponent out or put them into a position where she can wrap up a submission, similar to what she did against Michelle Watterson last time around. Uh, And then Marina Rodriguez, a little bit more volume based, right? She likes to throw combinations. She's a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more technical. And I like her durability. And even though the fact that she can get taken down, it seems with... Not relative ease, right? Like, obviously, Mackenzie Dern struggled a lot to get her to the ground, but we know the extent of Dern's wrestling. But uh, that could be a path for Amanda Lemos here early should she look to get this fight to the ground and try to exploit that. Outside of that, though, outside of the first round and a half to two rounds, I don't really see where Marina Rodriguez runs to any trouble, right? Because the longer the fights go, as we saw in the Angela Hill fight, as we were kind of seeing in the Michelle Watterson fight, Lemos really starts to telegraph a lot of her strikes, right? She starts to get a little bit slower. You can see the shots coming from far away. And I think Marina, who's had a pair of uh, five-round fights now under her belt, showcases that she can uh, portion her gas tank well over 25 minutes. And I know she knows that there's going to be a shitstorm to go through early in this matchup. But if she can get through that, she should start to chip away at Lemos. the longer that this fight goes. And she could potentially even find a finish later on in this fight. So I do lean the Marina Rodriguez side here. I do think that she can survive the early onslaught uh, just for just throwing it out there. Lemus to win in round one is currently sitting at plus 900. I think that's a phenomenal hedge opportunity for anybody scared from that early Lemus finishing uh, potential. But uh, Rodriguez, the longer this fight goes, right? Rodriguez, round four, sitting at plus 1,600. Rodriguez, round five, plus 2,200. And then, obviously, Rodriguez straight up to win by decision is sitting at plus 1,65. Let me just quickly check here the uh, the fan dual prop uh, for that round four, five decision for Marina because that's one that I think that will be pulling the trigger on as I do think that that's her best path to victory. Survive early. Take this fight late, and then she should be able to pull away down the stretch. Rodriguez run 4-5 slash decision plus 110. That's a phenomenal line to me. I'll likely take some action on that. That's my favorite prop for this matchup, Cody. What are you thinking here?
1: I got Rodriguez 4-5 or decision plus 105, sons of bitches. You got an extra five points on me there. Uh, Yeah, no, I like it. I think Marina Rodriguez wins the fight. Striking battle, two strikers. Lemboles could theoretically to the ground, but Rodriguez's takedown defense has improved. And also, she's been taken down by much better girls, much better grapplers, and again can survive. So I think that even if she does get taken down, she'll be okay. Five rounds to work with. She's got the superior volume, she's got the superior punch and power. She got, I think, nine fights in the UFC only ever knocked out one opponent in the UFC, has a lot of knockdowns, but not a whole lot of knockouts. So I think this thing does drag into those later rounds. And if Lemos tires, then that's when Rodriguez will be able to put her away. But if not you're just going to get a fight that goes into this probably late third, fourth, fifth decision. So if you can get that Rodriguez four or five or decision plus 105, I like it. Rodriguez straight up by decision plus 135. Don't like it as much. I feel like I want a little more plus money there because of the ability to maybe finish her in the fourth or fifth. But all the same time, not the worst price tag in the world um if you want to play it safe if you're like man i don't care about the big plus money just tell me something that's safe like the over two and a half i'd like minus 195 that looks pretty good again both girls aren't known for big knockouts early when you look at um lemos's knockouts it's like over Montserrat ruiz's of the world it's over the miranda grangers of the world like she can take them out quick Is she going to knock out Marina Rodriguez in the first two rounds? Like highly doubtful, man. And Rodriguez, meanwhile, again, she is the power puncher. She's got the volume. She's got the uh, the knockdowns over a lot of knockdowns in the UFC. Not a whole lot of actual KO results. So this thing's going to drag into that over two and a half. Get into the later rounds. I wouldn't say I wouldn't um, rule out a knockout in those later rounds, but certainly nothing early. So over two and a half, over three and a half, Marina Rodriguez. Um, by decision and that that double chance marina rodriguez four or five or decision i know that sounds like a lot but you basically reiterated a lot of the same stuff you think rodriguez wins you think she's going to be most effective late you think she could win a decision but you're also interested in hitting one of those late four or five props we're on the same page here man
0: Perfect. I love it. I love it. All right, let's get to our three best prop bets, shall we? I'll kick it off, as always. First up, I got Magni by decision. You know I love that one the most. Plus 130. I think that he's going to pull work here on Daniel Rodriguez. Yes, I like the significant strike output from the Daniel Rodriguez side, but I think he's going to struggle to keep those numbers up, dealing with that pressure that Magni brings to the cage. Next up, I'm going to go Ramona Pasquale by decision. Plus 225 to kick off the card. I think she pulls off the upset nice and early here. Deals with that... uh, a haymaker that Vidal pretty much only has and that brown belt in brazilian jiu jitsu she'll put together a much better body of work over that 15 minutes and she should get her hand raised by decision again plus 225 and then lastly I'm going to go Miranda Maverick inside the distance at minus 105 I think it's just a matter of time before she grounds that fight and then from there I think she quickly finds a finish um I like her quite a lot you know I don't think Shanna Young is really UFC caliber sure she can beat uh who the hell is that last chick that she beat? Uh, Gina Mazzini. Yes, she can be the Gina Mazzini's of the world, but definitely not the Miranda Mavericks of the world. Cody, you're up, my friend.
1: We're chasing the big plus money, so we're going to go with Mario Batista by decision, plus 150. Mar- uh, Benito Lopez, obviously, big uphill climb, uh, hill to climb coming back from a long layoff against a tough opponent, but the kid's never been finished. He is durable enough. I think the, t- the time off will keep him fresh, and uh, hopefully he goes out there defensively because Batista's going to bring it, but I do like that Batista by decision. Plus one fifty. Moving on, get a little more plus money. We're gonna go with D Rod by decision. Just, just, the great just, thing here, the great thing here is, as long as this fight goes to decision, <laughs> you be making some money in some capacity. <laughs> Man, pre one thirty, that would be good to hit the plus two seventy five for D Rod. I like Magny is durable enough. I think against non pure power punches to last. I think he does last, but I think the superior volume by Daniel Rodriguez is eventually gonna just climb up. Stuff the takedowns would need be. And get the job done. So sign me up for Daniel Rodriguez plus 275. And then this one you talked me a little bit more out of than my Daniel Rodriguez by decision. But yeah, listen, Chase Sherman's no world beater. And he's not a power puncher. That's why I think the key here is that it is a heavyweight fight that probably goes to 15 minutes. That being said, it's not necessarily what Chase Sherman's going to do. It's Parisian. Like When he shows up out of shape, he is fat and out of shape. And his cardio doesn't keep up. So if you're tired of getting punched in the head, the ref's just going to stop it. I need him to show up with 15 minutes of cardio. And if he does... He's still going to lose, but he will lose that decision. And that's what we want. Share my decision plus 350.
0: There you guys go. Three best prop bets. Courtesy of your boys here at Propping You Up, Cody. I will hand you the platform one last time for anything you want to say, and then I'll bring us on home
1: yeah that's it i mean we've got an early start time tons of other regional show mma going on gotta plan my own cards got a baby gotta go make dinner so uh i'm off i know you got plans as well but uh again listen this is a week card it's a thursday football's coming up uh, my internet's apparently shitty which i totally believe because i'm on <laughs> i'm on the shittier of the two uh you're choosing to spend your time with us a couple hours to listen to a couple guys talk fight so i really do appreciate everybody that took the time to tune in and uh hopefully we can reward you with some good picks and some good plus money here
0: yeah, next week, big one coming up. We got UFC 281. So uh, it will definitely pick up from uh, the lack of entertainment that we were able to provide this week because of the the lack of uh, entertaining fights on the card. But it should still be fun to see these go down, and hopefully we can cash some tickets while we're at it. All right, on behalf of myself and Cody, we appreciate you guys hanging with us. Hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next week for another edition of Propping You Up. Peace out, guys.